Friday, July the 7th, 2023. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of That's What G Said Podcast. We're going to talk some NFL. Can you believe it? AFC East, team-by-team preview, Bills, Jets, Dolphins, and the Patriots. Eric joins me to talk about each of those teams. We'll talk win totals, the odds, player movement, new rosters, schedule, a little bit of everything for the AFC East teams. Then we'll get into the weekend racing. couple stakes races on Friday night at Prairie Meadows. I'm going to dive into those. Then we'll get into Indiana Derby Day at Indy. Belmont stakes races on Saturday at Belmont. We'll get into Saturday, Sunday, Louisiana racing from Louisiana Downs. And we finish up with this week in wrestling with Chad Cooper. WWE, Money in the Bank, Raw, AEW, NXT. We hit them all. On this episode of That's What G Said. And we will jump right on into the AFC East team-by-team previews with Eric. Kick back and enjoy. We get into football already. Can you believe it's already time to start talking about the NFL? Love it. Eric from Etoff21 Sports joins me here. And we're going to go team-by-team. But what we'll do is we'll go one division at a time. Every week. From now until the start of the NFL season, Eric's going to join me on my podcast, and we're going to really dive into uh, previewing each NFL division. We're going to start with the AFC East. We'll go Bills, Jets, Dolphins, Patriots. We're looking at the lines over at DRF Sportsbook. Eric, we're actually going to be starting a new show called The Winning Ticket on Fridays, 6 o'clock p.m. Eastern time. Every Friday, Eric and I will give out a few baseball plays. Then we'll give out another play or two for the weekend. I might give out a horse racing play if there's any sort of fights. Eric may give something out or uh, any kind of a race, maybe if there's a golf or tennis event. Those are things we could be uh, we could be dishing out as well. And then we'll we'll also talk NFL divisions um, on that show each week. So Eric, buddy, uh, that'll be fun. It's been a few weeks since we've talked last. How you doing? Doing good, man. You know, it's uh, you know ready for football to start. Um, you know, it's a good time of year, you know, I kind of feel like the off season's done and now we're kind of in the preseason mode of kind of getting, getting the The rosters are shaped for the most part, right? Like I'm talking talking about more of the gambling stuff. Oh yeah. From a gambling staff. Well, cause we need, cause we need one. Oh yeah. We're ready. Cause one, cause, but that's for me, once I feel like the rosters are pretty close to final, that's when I can do my work. Right, that's uh-huh. when I can start really dive in strengths, weaknesses. Let's look at the numbers. Where are we going to find some advantages? We'll go through. We go through the schedule and find some good spots to play for and against teams. So we'll kind of do our best on, on this show to talk a little bit about each of these four teams in the AFC East. Get you all set up, and then each week we'll uh, we'll go through another four teams in another division. Let's get started, my friend. Let's uh, let's dive into the Bills. They're over under in the total for win totals was in like the 10 and a half range, but leaning over, I was seeing like minus 130 over. You're seeing to win the division. That's the odds that we're looking at right now. They are in the plus 120, plus 130 range, sort of depending on where you're looking or when you've played right now. As we look at DRF Sportsbook, they are the favorite in the AFC East at plus 120. Eric, they were, I think, your third choice overall to win the Super Bowl, if you're looking at the Super Bowl futures. Over the last three years, they lead the league in points per game and in points allowed per game. Um, so, you know, this has been a good good football team. They've made the playoffs four straight times, but 
a little bit of a sour taste in your mouth when you think about the Bills because they got beat up at home losing to Cincinnati last year, and that's the last we saw of this team. Yeah, and I mean, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to know that Josh Allen was playing with an injured elbow to close the season, which hurt the offense. You just kind of look at when he got hurt against the Jets. His yards per passing went from 300 yards per game to 235. And he had three games in after that injury where he threw for under 200 yards, where Josh Allen threw for under 200 yards. Uh, the rumors that I'm hearing is that they're going to not have as many planned runs from him, but that's just kind of the way he plays. If stuff breaks down, he's going to take it. He's going to look to run. So and you know what? I think that is going to be an interesting thing to watch. What ends up happening too, a lot of the time, Eric is their offensive line. Isn't that great. And they get away with it because he has to take off and run a lot. Like you look at their offensive line, pro football focus has them ranked as number 22 this year. Mm-hmm. coming into the season it's they're, they're not like a top half offensive line no and Allen's able to extend plays um the running back room to me interested they brought interesting they brought in Damian Harris and Latavius Murray to go with James Cook I'm not sure how much we're going to see of, of Latavius Murray though just because McDermott likes to have his third running back be a special teams player and Murray doesn't do that I think with the backfield, what we're going to see happen is kind of like the same thing we saw happen with Detroit last year. Cook is going to be the swift, the guy that gets the work done before the red zone. When the red zone work comes, we're going to see Damian Harris come in. I really think that's what's going to happen in terms of the backfield. Uh, They added Dalton Kincaid, but I'll be honest, I don't think they're going to use him as a tight end. I think he's going to be more of a slot wide receiver, someone that's going to work the air, work the middle of the field. They brought Cole Beasley out of retirement just to get someone that could work the middle of the field. And I really think that's what they're going to have Kincaid do. I think he's going to be used as a slot wide receiver more than a tight end. Yeah, he was really good at Utah. He's a very good pass catcher. They need that, Eric. They have major concerns at wide receiver. Gabriel Davis is their number two, like Deontay Hardy. Is their digs already a little bit disgruntled coming in? And this was an issue for them last year. So weaknesses maybe at wide receiver, at offensive line. But overall, a very good team. Uh, they brought back Miller, Poirier, who they were 12-0 and in regular season games when he played last year. They added Floyd. Um, you know, they're, they're solid. and like They're the team to beat in the division, I think. They also had that real emotional um, – End of the year last year, one of the players on their team was pronounced dead, came back. It was sort of an emotional wave. We all kind of thought it was going to like pick them up and lift them up. Sometimes it can be a little too much, and it can kind of be more and, and a little bit bigger than the game. Exactly. Um, you know, you mentioned Diggs. I really don't understand how he's unhappy with his role in his offense. He had 156 targets. That's 9.2 a game. That's the fourth most in the league and you're unhappy. He was fifth in the league in red zone car- targets last year and you're unhappy. How with getting that much love can you be unhappy? Like, I don't know, like, what does he expect? Does he expect him to get every single target? I don't understand why Diggs can be unhappy with how much love he gets. Um, Seems like one of those that's going to always kind of be unhappy, you know, or just if it always kind of have something to say. And then... And then da- got- like Davis, Davis is high for receptions last year. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Was was six. 
right? He's but, just not kind of consistent enough, sort of up and down. But the thing with Gabe Davis, though, is he had that high ankle sprain, and he just never was the same when he came back. So they really, last year, they really didn't have that number two wide receiver, and I really feel that kind of hurt the offense a little bit, especially toward the end of the end of the year in that playoff game. Um, defensively, they're at a loss without Miller because the way that Fra- Frazier plays defense is he doesn't blitz. He relies on his defensive lineman to generate the pressure. And if you don't have someone that can generate pressure, i.e. like a Von Miller, your defense is really just going to struggle. And that's what happened in that game against the Bengals when the Bengals literally had no offensive lineman. Frazier refused to bring pressure at all. And that really hurt him. Now they brought in Leonard Floyd as well. Maybe Floyd could be able to bring some relief, but we've seen him in the past not be able to be that elite pass rusher. If Miller does play, I believe that's going to help Floyd get to the quarterback, but they really need Von Miller to get out there. And you kind of mentioned it. You know, we have to kind of be honest and kind of look at this team. None of us know what it's like to see someone that is our teammate basically be pronounced dead on the field. How much did that kind of wear on them with the Hamlin situation? And how much did that affect them mentally going into the playoffs and everything? I think this team is going to be fine. Could they win it all? I don't know. Uh, Just kind of going through their schedules. I have them at 12 and five. Yep. I got them 11, six, 12 and five. I think they, I think they have a, a kind of difficult way to end the season weeks, 11 through 18 could be tough because at that point of the year, the jets maybe have played better and maybe they figured a little bit out with Rogers. Then you go at Philly. Then you have a buy, you come back from the buy, you go at KC. Then uh, you have your home for Dallas, which could be a flat spot coming off of a big game on the road at KC. You come home and maybe you're a little down for that game. Then you got to go play on the road against the chargers and you come home and you play the Patriots and you play at Miami. I think that could be the stretch where they could get caught a few times. They do have a pretty good start to the year. I think they'll catch the Jets right away. Maybe maybe a little flat spot in week two against the Raiders, but I still think they can win that game. I mean, they've got winnable games at home against Miami, Jacksonville, winnable game on the road at Washington, home against the Giants. Like the first six weeks, they should be I mean, at five, I would say five or six wins probably through their first six weeks. I'd be shocked if they lost twice, even in that stretch. Yeah, I mean, the schedule plays out, you know, really, really, really nice for them. You can't really complain with how the schedule plays out, especially the start of the season and everything. Um, I the They're the team part, to beat in the division, right? In the division. They're, I mean, they're not the team necessarily maybe to bet at the price, but they're the team to beat. Someone's got to jump up and beat them. If they just sort of come back and play that same game that we've been seeing, it's probably good enough to win. But it's not the easiest schedule overall. Like you said, they could get out to a nice start towards the end. gets a little tougher. We've both got them in that 11-12 range, which would put them over. Correct. But I'm not betting that at all. Yeah, it's it's tight enough for me. And overall, uh, anything else you want to mention about the Bills? Um, No. It's going to be really interesting to see what happens with Diggs, though. Let's get into the Jets over under for them nine and a half or so. They're plus two fifty ish in the range to win the AFC East, so they're the strong second choice. 
obviously the big news for them. They traded for Aaron Rodgers. He was coming off of a bad year. He had his lower lowest passer rating as a starter. And I, I guess we asked the question, how motivated is he? Because he was a guy who almost retired. He's been on these vision quest journeys in the desert doing whatever. Who knows? I, I don't know. Physically, he may still have it. Mentally, does he really care all that much? What will it be like for him? Or is it a flip thing? Is he going to want to come out there and prove it to Green Bay and just say, look, I've got something left and just have one more like real like FU kind of year. I've still got it. The concerns I have with the Jets, though, kind of going through their um, their roster. Also, offensive line looks like it could be a problem for them. Again, pro football focus has them ranked 23. Yeah, I will say this. Like, that's my problem with pro football on focus. Well, I have this here, offensive line rated insanely. Here, here's why I was going to ask you, that, but what I was going to say was their offensive line, more than I think any of the others that are rated lower, they could very easily jump up. They just need some more production from a couple guys that, that haven't been able to produce quite as much recently. Right, because we're we're talking about Becton. Becton has missed a ton of games the last three years. If he plays and he's if he's just playing, all of a sudden this offensive line is at least in the top half. At least I think with him just playing consistently, they're up to being much better. And then if they can get another good year from Brown, he's thirty eight. You know, super high upside if Becton can stay healthy, and then the rookie center Joe Tipman. So this, my big note here was this line could be a lot better than expected if he's ready to contribute and if Becton's healthy. And if Becton can't go, they drafted Mac, Max Mitchell last year, who's good. Max Mitchell's going to come in. They got Tomlinson from San Francisco. Um, I I think this. I have this line as one of the better offensive lines. I am a, totally disagree with. Um, and I think like the, that was because for them they're doing a lot of their grading off of how players performed like last year. Right. And so for the jets this year, they're going to be depending on probably two rookies and then a player who hasn't played a whole lot the last couple of years. So they don't have a whole lot of metrics and like grades to go off of recently for these offensive line players. That's why they could be a sneaky team just in this particular unit, because for a lot of people looking at metrics, there aren't that many to go off of with this offensive line proven recently, right? They're sort of, uh, you like these kids and you just figure they're going to be ahead of schedule. Yep. And you kind of look at who they brought in and everything and what they've done. So Rogers, obviously Mecole Hardman, Alan Lazard last year, uh, Zach Wilson became the first quarterback since 1957, 1958 to have the worst passer rating in back to back years. So their offense going to be better whether or not you think Rodgers has anything left in the tank. It's still going to be an upgrade over what Wilson was last year. We're telling you the offensive line is going to be better and could be a lot better if things fall the right way for them. They have a fantastic pass rush, lots of options, but still some questions. Longest playoff drought in North American sports in 12 years. Right now, they haven't made a playoff game. And we've talked about this the last few years. Is Robert Sala a true head coach? Making decisions now, this year, there are going to be expectations unlike they've ever had before. The defense was fourth in scoring defense last year. What do you think overall about their number, where they fit? So their win total, we said, was about nine and a half. 
riff a little on the Jets. So we need to be serious here. Rodgers isn't 2018 to 2021 Rodgers. Last season, while playing an extra game, we saw his TDs drop from 37 to 26. Okay. He had eight more TDs than he did in 2021. That's his most since 2018 when he was a rookie. Plus, Rodgers dinked and dunked last year. The only time he really threw the ball down the field was when it was a free play. Guy was offsides. So with all that being said, the first bet that I locked in was I took Aaron Rodgers under 3,950 and a half yards passing. I think this is going to be a run first team because I like their offensive line. This team is built to run the ball. And their defense is good. That this team is going to be a running team. He saw how at San Francisco Shanahan struggled until he got the O-line good and just leaned on that run game. And I think this is going to be a Brees Hall type season if he can stay healthy. And we saw them spend a high draft pick on the kid from Pittsburgh to come in to kind of lean on that run game as well in case Hall isn't back from that serious knee injury he had. So with all that being said, and the uptick in defenses, we need to remember this. Rodgers had six games where he was against the Lions, Vikings, and Bears. Now he's going to have six games against the Bills, really good defense. Banjo's now with the Dolphins. And the Dolphins are going to be much better defensively. We'll talk about them in a minute. And the Patriots with Belichick. Rodgers under this 3,950 and a half yards passing. I absolutely love it. I bet it. I don't, I think it, it would be very, how can I word this? I would be utterly amazed if he got to 4,000 yards passing in this season. And man, on top of that, they have a brutally tough start to the season. Well, on got, top, I got one more player problem. Go ahead, please, please. So the next one is this. Okay, so let's, so everyone is comparing Devontae Adams to, oh, sorry, um, Everyone is comparing Garrett Wilson to Devontae Adams, correct? Yep. So have you seen Garrett Wilson in person? No. Garrett Wilson is not six foot one, 216 pounds like Mr. Adams is. That's number one. Garrett Wilson is buck 92, six foot listed in the program so in reality that means he's probably about 185 510 now let's look at adam's production when he first got there okay 38 receptions 446 yards first year in green bay next year 50 receptions 483 yards and one td 2016 is kind of when he saw his boom that was the jordy nelson got banged up year where he had 75 997 yards receiving 2017, 74 receptions, 885. Adams didn't see triple-digit targets until his third year with the Packers. Rodgers has shown us that he doesn't target people he doesn't know. They brought in Lazard. I think Lazard's very sneaky this year. I think he's going to look to target Lazard a lot. Plus, as I mentioned, I think this is going to be a run-first thing. With all that being said, I am also betting Garrett Wilson. I'm betting his under-receiving yards as well and guess who their oc is my friend your boy from denver right nate hackett your boy from denver last year that he has absolutely no idea how to call a play he is insanely over his head 
and here's the thing, right? So I, I'm, I'm totally, I understand that certain people in certain places can fit really well, right? Um, whether it's a system, whether it was the combination of Green Bay, Aaron Rodgers, everything there, he did a good job when he was in Green Bay. He did, but that but, would, but Matt was designing the plays, and Matt that's see, see what I'm saying is that in in that role there he did fine. As soon as he was taken out of that role, he struggled, and now he's not going back to that comfortable role. Right? If he was going back to Green Bay. I wouldn't worry about it. If he was going back to the same situation he was in, I would feel like, okay, he knows that that worked for him. They all know it was comfortable. It was familiar. Well, now he's going to a new spot. He does have the quarterback he has, but this is a new team, brand new personnel, brand new players. He's got to get comfortable and familiar with. And like we said, it doesn't start easy. You start Buffalo Monday night football at Dallas on a short week. Then you've got home games, but you play division rival Patriots who have beat the crap out of you forever. It's not as if you think that you're going to just w- wipe the floor with them. And then you've got KC. Following that, week five, you got to go at Denver and play in one of the toughest places to play. And then you come home and play the NFC champion Philadelphia Eagles before your bye in week seven. That so is... Dude. That kind of brings me to my other bet that I have with the Jets. Um, you just kind of look at you got an angry Josh Allen coming off of an embarrassing game, an embarrassing playoff performance. They're going to yep. lose that game. Week two, Cowboys home opener. I think they're going to lose that. Yep. Week three, you know, if you're trying to be positive, this is going to be the game they could win. 0 2, backing yep. up the wild Patriots. Don't know what we're going to get from Mac Jones. Yep. Yet. I gave him the win here too. So I got him at week, one and two. Week four. Mahomes prime time. That's an L week five yeah. playing a team in the altitude. That's a really under the radar that I like the Broncos. I have them in an L. Well, week and it's four. funny too. I don't know how much this is, but like we were just talking about Hackett, who was like a miserable coach over there last year. Some of those Denver guys would probably love to stick it to him oh, with the sure. jets. Now, when they get a chance to play against him, they're going to say this dude had no idea what he was doing, what was going on. Right. Like that's just a little bit like locker, like locker room material for them. Um, and then week six, you have the Eagles and they've always kind of struggled stopping the run. I really don't think they did that much to address the issue. That's a loss. So that's I that could them, be one in five. I have them one at five at best two and four. Okay? Me too. Now in the AFC, you have the Bills, Dolphins, Bengals, Browns, Broncos, Chiefs, Chargers. I didn't include a team from the a- AFC South because I only think one, one team from that division is going to get it. So you have all these teams that you're going to be, and I didn't even include the Steelers in here. You, all these teams are going to be competing for playoff spots. I really feel that they're going to start one and five, two and four. They're going to just be so far against the eight ball and behind. They're not going to have enough to make up with how their schedule breaks. Their schedule does get a little bit easier. They do have a couple runs where they could make it. Um, especially right after the bye, but I really feel they're just going to be so far behind the eight ball. I'm getting, I think I got it at plus 128 for, I got it really early for them not to make the playoffs. I, I, I don't think they're going to make the playoffs. I, I think they're going to struggle this year. Just I don't either. I, I got them at eight and nine. I got them at seven and 10. And weeks 12 through 18, things get a little easier for them. They have three straight home games at one point. 
But how much ground are you going to be behind at that point? I mean, even coming out of the bye, you've got a game at the Giants. Like this is a playoff team from last year that that is a well coached football team. You think yeah, the Giants how are much, how like what's going to be the split there in MetLife? No, you're right. You're right. Um, because like one thing is is like look like the 16th, 23rd. I mean, like there's like almost a month where they're not leaving New York. And that's, that's where it gets good for them, right? They get home for the, they get the, you're right. They get Philly at home, then the bye, then at the Giants, and then they get home for the Chargers. So that's a good spot for them to get healthy, not have to travel a whole lot. You go at the Raiders, but then, you know, at Buffalo, uh, Miami, Atlanta, Houston, probably. But I that Raiders team is a short week. Then you go, yep. then you play Buffalo. You have Miami come into kind of coldish weather on a Friday. You know, they, they could, they, they, they could, you know what I mean? They, they could sneak that out. Yeah. On paper, Atlanta, that's, that's an, a better stretch, a much better stretch from them. But I mean, like the, these last four, I mean, you just kind of look at the last four. Three on the road. Three on the road. You're at Miami. So you're a cold weather team going to Miami to play. That's never good because you're not used to the heat and everything. Um, you play Washington, Washington, good offensive line. I think they're going to have it figured out by then. That's going to be a tough game. I absolutely love Cleveland. You're at Cleveland on a Thursday night on a short week. That's pretty much an L. Then you follow up at New England. Look, I think this is a tough schedule. Me too. I got them seven and 10, dude. Yeah. I I think eight and nine, like I said, and I'm, I'm not, I, I think, they're, I think they'll be an okay team, but the schedule is tough. Like we we mentioned positives about their team. Like they feel like as a team, their roster is going to be better than they were last year, but the other rosters in their division also are improved or just as good. And it's not going to be easy. Like I think at the most, they're the third best team in this division. Yeah. Third, maybe fourth. Cause really, you know what? Yeah. We're going to talk about New England pretty soon. We don't. Yeah. New England's this team that, they can go one or two ways. Yep. And, and like New England, get there. their offense was so bad last year that it can only be a little better. It can't yeah. be as bad as it was last year. They bring in O'Brien that can help them out. The Jets, Eric and I, are not nearly as high on this year. We're under on the Jets for the win totals and, and fading some of the Jets player props there as uh, Eric was with Rodgers. Rodgers, Wilson, and no, no playoffs, right? I think the better thing is, because I'm looking at it right now with how the, the over-under was juiced, I think the better play is to play not to make the playoffs at plus money. Let's go Miami Dolphins. They are over-under nine and a half wins. They're the third choice in this division. And Miami has now made a major, major addition. Vic Fangio, defensive coordinator. Vic Fangio, four of his last five defenses have ranked top 10 or better in points allowed. Last year, the Miami defense was 27th against the pass, 24th in scoring defense. They've also made some nice additions in personnel. They brought in Jalen Ramsey. He was the third highest graded cornerback in the NFL last year, even though it didn't seem like he was quite as dominant. He still was very, very good. Um, So right off the bat, their defense that was miserable last year with scheme and in overall personnel, they're a lot better. Eric, you've been a big fan of Fangio, and he's been someone who's basically led this defensive, the, the recent defensive like 
um, formations and the two high safety look like this. That was a lot of him that basically this entire league is gone to now. It's a lot of the Fangio influence. This guy isn't a fantastic head coach because he doesn't do the offensive stuff great. He's not really great decision-making when it comes to when to kick field goals, when to punt, when to go for it, that kind of stuff, because he's more old school. He can get guys up to play and scheme defense very well. He's a G, dude. I mean, the stuff he can do off defensively, he's an absolute stud. But I'm not worried about the defense. I'm worried about Tua, the offense. Now, and health, his health. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what the next step is. We need to remember that this offense was buzzing. Then they played the game against the Chargers. The Chargers, they were just physical with them. The offense mm-hmm. struggled, and it struggled after that game. Now, it's a copycat league. That's how they're going to play this team. That's what they're going to do offensively. So what's the next step in the Mike McDaniel offense? What can we expect from Tua? Look, I'm not a Tua guy at all. Nope. And I really feel that if this team had a better quarterback, it's kind of giving me some vibes of last year's Eagles. Kind of giving me some Eagles vibes. Um, they do. Now, have I, no I will say last year, while I do agree that it wasn't as much as people thought, and there were some numbers and stuff that looked phony, and it did come back to life later in the year, when things were going well for them, Tua was playing better than I thought he would even get to, which... Like he looked like at the very least, he was a guy who could be an NFL quarterback. I agree with you in that. I don't think from what I've seen from him so far, he can be a Super Bowl winning quarterback, especially with a team that's going to lean on their offense. Like when he plays good defenses and he has to make the throws, I don't think it can be done. I think he is a pretty good decision maker. I think as a leader, like those kind of things, I think some intangibles, I do think there are positives about him that can get them to a certain level. I don't think he can take them to cross, to cross the finish line. Um, And then, you know, the running back room, they have Wilson Mozart, who's really close with McDaniel. He's their, their guy. And then they drafted a chain who McDaniel wanted. So this whole Dalvin cook going there, to me, it just doesn't really have legs just because you have two guys that are familiar with the system that are close to the coach and the kid that the coach picked. So I really don't think Cook's going to go there. That doesn't make sense. Also, they need Armstead healthy to anchor the offensive line. When Armstead's there, I have this is the 13th best offensive unit, offensive line unit in the league. Without Armstead, it is in the bottom third. Now they have one of the best wide receiver tandems in the league and arguably the fastest. But in terms of betting, I found something I like. I love, I liked here. I'm going to be betting Jalen Waddle under yards, still kind of looking for the number. Can't find a number. No numbers are out on this. He was 26th in targets, 27th in receptions, but he was seventh in yards. What does that mean? It's so hard for that to sustain. It's not, you're not going to be that efficient over and over and over again. Yep. Big plays. And I think you're going to see that drop. Plus you factor in, they're probably going to run the ball more. Plus they also brought in that play, that kid from Texas A&M who they, they like a little bit, the running back. He could get a few, right? Like waddle this year, a few of those times. Now he's a decoy a little bit more, right? And you use others. So I agree with you. That's a nice play. 
in terms of the defense, look, they got Vangio. Vangio's an OG DC, just coming in, best DC in the game. It's going to be greatly improved. They have Bradley Chubb, who can get to the quarterback. They have solid secondary with Howard, Ramsey, Jones, and Holland. But the thing with Ramsey is this. Ramsey was more of like a safety rover with the Rams. He really wasn't the guy that would lock on the best player. He was more of a rover on that defense. Is Vangio going to use him in that way? Um, that's going to be interesting to see. I think this is a fantasy football sleeper on defense for real. Like I said, this team reminds me a lot of the Eagles team last year. And I'll be honest, if they didn't have Tua, I'd probably bet them to win the Super Bowl. But they have Tua, so I'm just going to take the under on the Waddle yards. I like them a lot better than the Jets as far as teams that are like priced. Oh, I like them. I like them better than the Jets for sure. Oh yeah, and so because they're teams that are priced the same as far as like their wins and their odds. I think if you're looking to bet a team in this division, this would be the team I would look to bet. Based yeah, on I got like, him. I got him at ten. You know, ten and seven. There is some stuff. Um, you know, they there, play. It's the- not easy to start three or four on the road, right? So yeah. that's not easy. And, like you play the Broncos at home, sandwiched between the Patriots and two and division the- road games. Yep. You know, so that's a flat spot, right? Yep. Yep. And then they got to go to Frankfurt too and play Kansas City in Germany. And I'll be honest, like, I don't know who, like, if that game was supposed to be an arrowhead or what, but I think it was. If that's the case, they dodged a major freaking bullet. Um, just because arrowhead is such a tough place. Now you get it more, more as a neutral. As a neutral game here, we're right. Yeah, you you yeah, don't have to. It's not as much of a true road game for you. There's three road games in four weeks. Week 11, you know, they're playing the Raiders after the bye. Um, and the cheat and the Raiders have the Chiefs next. Week 13, playing the Commanders on some extended rest. So that week um, 11, where you from the end of the bye to week 15, that's got to be a, a really big stretch of the year for them. Like they got it, yeah, they got to stack up the wins right there. The you know, I they, think. I think that's a tough game though. Friday, um, the twenty fourth. Yeah, it is. It is an um, early day. That's the, that's, also, the um, that's the Black Friday day game yeah. on Thanksgiving then, after Thanksgiving. Also the um, you know these these teams down south traveling up north. It's always tough. You know, who knows what the weather is going to be like in Washington that game on December third? Who knows what they're going to get there? Tennessee is a game, a team. I don't know. What we're going to see. They could. You me neither. I have no idea with them. So, and then the last three, you could lose all three of those games. I know you've got you two, win of them. All three. you know, you've got two of them at home, right? So you could absolutely win them all. You could win, beat the Cowboys. You could win at Baltimore and the bills. Who knows at that point, maybe they're sitting guys. Maybe they've already got something clinched or you could just beat the Bills straight up either way. But those are winnable or losable games. I mean, I would lean slightly over, but I don't, you know, most places it's around nine and a half on their win total. I don't feel confident enough to bet the over, but if I were looking to play a team and I will probably end up playing this team a lot week to week this year, I think at least early, if they're a little undervalued because of their defense, I'm really expecting their defense to be much improved with Fangio and more than anything, that'll probably take a little bit of pressure off of Tua as well. Right, he won't have to be as perfect, and McDaniel won't have to be as perfect. They can have a little more margin for error 
with a defense that will help them out. I mean, last year, remember when your Lions played them and you just went down every time and would score? It was unbelievable. They're, they just could not stop anyone. I think it'll be different for the Dolphins this year. Eric and I like them a little bit in some spots, but you, you're you going to have to have Eric drunk or have had just won a lot of money on a game for him to say something nice about Tua. It's going to be one of those situations. Yeah, I mean, like, that's the thing. Like, I just – then that's my – I don't mean to go on a tangent. I mean, that's my problem with like this mainstream sports media. They get a guy they like and they just shove it down your throat that he's like God's gift. Oh, he was never, he was never close to as good as he was talked about. It was just, no, I, I, it's, I mean, it is what it is, but I mean, that's one of the things why I don't listen to ESPN, do the ESPN. This is something that you said there were things when he was drafted that you didn't like, and those certain things we haven't really seen improve. He was put in a good position last year at the beginning with oh, some really it, nice playmakers and uh, a night. Nice, and it was never anything was really downfield. You know, I don't have yeah, the that's, and that's me, but everything yeah, was just kind of you know getting well, the, and then the job of putting him in a place to succeed. But I will say this: if anyone's listening to this that plays fantasy football. Your last round in your fantasy football best ball drafts, you have to draft Mike White. You just have to just put that feeler out there for Mike White because we've seen this offense have it be with Teddy Bridgewater, had it be with Skylar Thompson. Success from these like second, third tier quarterbacks. So I would definitely look to uh to do that. Let's get to the Patriots. Isn't it amazing that in just a few years, we're now talking about the Patriots last in this division. And who knows if they finish last, but just from a talking point, they are the fourth choice now in this division when for years they beat up on the division. And really, when you look at the Patriots team, as much as losing Tom Brady hurts and as much as they're not quite as good as they were, Eric, the other teams are just a lot better. I mean, they were in a division many years where the Jets, Bills, and Miami were all terrible at the same time. Like, all three of them were really, really bad over and over. Now, this year, those three teams could honestly all make the playoffs. It wouldn't be the craziest thing in the world if the Bills, Jets, and Dolphins all did. Um, So, this Patriots team just feels a little different coming into this year because your perception is different. But they have a very good defense. Uh, Their over-under is only seven and a half wins. Their defense returns all but one starter from a defense that last year scored seven defensive touchdowns, had 19 interceptions, 41 sacks. They were the number three defensive DVOA. And how sad is that, Eric? Right now, no idea if we're going to have any DVOA this year because Football Outsiders is done. Uh, Their site has not been... Like they didn't pay some of their staff. So they haven't had anything new for the last two months. And I saw one of their main writers, the editor today posted that he's basically a free agent. I think he's going to take DVOA with him somewhere, but who knows? I- I'm I'm hoping there's some place that goes, yes, we want DVOA, right? Yeah, I, DVOA is. is awesome. Cause any place, if you were like somewhere on ESPN or if you were pro football focus, right. Or if you were, um, establish the run or sharp or any of these places that has content and sells stuff or has subscriptions, DVOA would be great to have and to be able to push. I think it, it would give you a, you know, a nice like calling card there, but we can still look at last year's stuff. And this defense was fantastic. 
and their offense was horrible. They were number 24 in DVOA. They're going to have an upgrade at wide receiver. I don't think Juju is like a number one. He's only had 1,000 yards once, but he's better than what they had last year. And they have a rookie from wide receiver who's sort of a good prospect. He was highly projected before an injury, and he had some struggles at LSU. Offensive line is above average. They're solid. They're hoping they can get more out of Mike Gusecki, who has athleticism. And now they bring in Bill O'Brien, who should really help their offense. I mean, Patricia was just horrendous. You you know him. You've experienced right. him. He was terrible. So I feel fine about this Patriots team. It just comes down to, yeah, things look a little better for them this year, but are they going to be better enough for them to sort of stack their way ahead of the three teams that are in front of them? I mean, I could see them maybe jumping ahead of one, maybe two of these teams, but I don't know if they're good enough to win this division. But so, like, that's kind of where the, like, if you just, so hypothetically, you look, who's the best running back in the, in the, out of these four teams? Probably Stevenson. Yeah, I mean, Jets are, Jets are Patriots, yeah. Stevenson or Hall, I guess. They have some good playmakers, but we just don't know what we're going to get from Mac Jones. I mean, but before I get into him, the one thing that kind of stands out to me, and we're talking about Stevenson, the staple of New England has been the third down running back. You know, James White, you know, that dude who's just there, their pass catcher. And when you look at this depth chart, who is that? I don't see it. I think Stevenson's going to be a workhorse this year. I'm really worried because he did have 279 touches last season. But he was under that 300 mark. The prop that is really interesting to me, and I'm just looking at it right now, is him to go over 1,000.5 yards. So for him to be a 1,000-yard rusher is even money right now. I'm really interested in that prop. I haven't pulled the trigger yet, though, but that's one prop I'm looking at. And you're, uh, are you going to be, you know, flying the Zappy flag around? Because I know that was your boy. I know, I know that was your guy last year. Money in college football, and I love him. Mac Jones last year ranked 27th in Pro Football Focus passing grade. Zappy was number 15 in his four starts. It comes down to coaching. You didn't put him in a good situation. Not at all. And Jones and Patricia were yelling at each other. Remember, they were fighting. He was I came on your show, and I was like, look, you got to have an offensive line, an offensive coordinator, quarterback coach. You don't have that. And the big step these quarterbacks need to make are year one to year two, and he didn't make that step. Now you got Bill O'Brien there. Bill O'Brien has established himself as a good coach, as a good offensive coach. But what is he going to be able to get? Is Jones too broken? Because Jones is old to be fixed. I don't know. I, I really don't know what you're going to get from Mac Jones. Because he, he coming out of college was one of the older yeah. college players who had already had a lot of experience. So but you that- like he's like competitive in football games with like people that haven't even played before. You know, yeah. like I don't even – he won a playoff game against the Raiders, and I'm spacing who the quarterback was. Um, they added Juju Smith. You look, you look at Juju Smith. He's a slot wide receiver, but the last two years he's been playing more of the outside, which he's not best at. And I really don't know what O'Brien's going to do here. Do they line up Thornton and Parker on the outside and put Juju on the inside? But on the flip side, they brought in Gasecki, which leads me to think that the Patriots are going to run more two tight end sense because they do have tighter Henry Hunter Henry, 
And the Patriots were kind of the first team that did the two tight end sets with Hernandez and Gronk back in the day. And O'Brien has shown a knack. It is time in Houston. It is time at Penn State. It is time at Alabama running two tight end sets. But Gusecki can't block worth at all. So do they put Gusecki in the slot? I really don't know what this offense is going to look like. They've but got, like, you're right. They've got, like, play. pieces I like. I don't know if they all fit I, together. Do, I, you know? I think the guy whose props, if I can find him, I kind of like Gusecki because I think he's going to play. The, I think they're going to use him more as the receiving tight end. I agree. As the slot more. Find him, if, it's probably going to be at 500 yards with how bad he was last season. I mean, that's going to be absolutely a hammer spot for me. Another person I'm interested in, and he in my best ball leagues, he's a must draft, but week to week I can't, is this kid Thornton. To me, he reminds me of Will Fuller, what Will Fuller was for the Houston Texans back in the day. Someone who could stretch the field, you know, make, make like a team that's awful defending the long ball, like the commanders were last season. That's just a team I'm throwing out there. Um, they He could have value in fantasy those weeks props those weeks but you know i just there's just so many questions how this offense is going to look how is stevenson going to hold up after having so many touches who's the pass catching running back who's going to be in the slot what are they going to do with juju i don't know defensively look they're going to be nails plus they added peppers who's going to just help the db um the whole thing with the the patriots is this is how well mac jones does and i'm going to say this right now if mac jones plays well with this defense and, and Stevenson stays healthy, I think they can make the playoffs. Yeah, I agree. But I don't know. It, if he doesn't, he's gone. Like, they're, yeah. they're just – the floor to ceiling range here is just way too much for me. Because that's what's so crazy. You look at their first four games. Their first two are at home, but they play Philly and Miami, who we think are going to be pretty good. And then they got to play at the Jets and at the Cowboys. You, you know, are they two and two or are they oh and four? Yeah. You know, that's yeah, that like the thing. Another thing, though, to think of it like this is just hear me out. Just hear me out. Okay. So, you know, I like betting props. You know, I yep. like making to make the playoffs. Yep. Hypothetically, if they play Philadelphia tight and lose play Miami tight and lose and Jones that's when you that's when when I kind of figure we take a little sniff of them in the playoffs yeah yeah because as crazy as it sounds that game against the Jets that could be a de facto elimination game yeah really on because you can't go 0-3 and and then got to go on the road in Dallas after that and you still got Buffalo games left to play right but it just comes so much down to Mac Jones and we could we see major development from him with Bill O'Brien sure like I could, I, we've seen crazy. We've, we've seen that happen. New coordinator comes in new staff and they could really change the outlook on a quarterback. We saw it last year with Daniel Jones, just putting him in better spots. A guy that a lot of people had written off or thought wasn't going to be able to be a starting quarterback. Um, I, this is one of those teams and I can get the sense in you talking about them. I feel like I'm going to be locked into them more week to week. And like you said, maybe if they lose a couple, I'll I'll buy in when their price is the highest it's at. I don't know if I can get behind any of their season long stuff because I just like the floor ceiling for them. 
I could see their range being so big. I've got them around seven to eight right now, but there's close, like it's close. You know what I mean? Like it could very easily go one or two the other way. This is another team that I, I like them just feel better about this team than I do about the jets. I I just don't um, nine to 11. Just kind of defend Just, just kind of depends on what happens. Um, Cause to me, the first four are the key. Yeah. I I got them at one and three to start. If they can go just two and two there or somehow three and one or some just better than one and three, they could be in good shape. They have a home game after that against new Orleans winnable game against the Raiders on the road after that. Then you come home and you play Buffalo and you're going to get up for that game. That's one of the bigger games of your year that you've got circled there. So the momentum can start to build. And then all of a sudden new offensive coordinator here, Mac Jones is playing well. The team buys in your defense, makes some plays for you. Their defense going to win them some games. It did last year. Now, can Mac pull his weight? Eric and I both kind of high on the Patriots. Eric, a little higher from an overall total. I think they're going to be sneaky and kind of more of a a week-to-week play. They're sneaky. My final standings are I went Bills 12-5, and Dolphins 10-7, and Patriots 9-8, Jets 7-10. and My bets are Jets not to make the playoffs. Uh, Rogers under, um, oh my God, the wide receiver. I'm spacing on his name already. Uh, Wilson. Wilson under, Waddle under. Those are my four bets in this conference. Yeah, I'm leaning as uh, the team. If you're looking for a value team to play in the division, I would play Miami. I would lean Miami. Um, uh, I think they're going to, Miami's going to be in the 10 to 11 range. I had Buffalo in the 11 to 12 win range. I've got the Jets and the the Patriots pretty close to each other. I think both around eight wins or so um, right in that range. So I think we could probably get two playoff teams out of this division. I think the Bills will be good. But I do think you were kind of hitting on it. The Bills now feel like they're at the point where they've had a couple really good regular seasons where they've been really impressive. They sort of feel like the team that now – might be okay losing a game or two in the regular season towards the end of the year to make sure that Josh Allen is healthy. Like maybe a few less Josh Allen runs up the middle, a few less hits on him, just making sure he's you're in the playoffs and he's ready to go by the time, you know, that, that first week of the playoffs starts. So I think they'll start out hot and then see if they can kind of maybe coast a little and take their foot off the gas and, and just get healthy because for them, winning 14 or 15 games isn't as important. They've been in that role before. They got to win now, right? This is a big year for them. This is like a year where there's starting to be a lot of pressure on them because the AFC is not getting easier. Mahomes isn't going anywhere. Burrow isn't going anywhere. You've got other teams stepping up. You expect the Ravens to be better. Aaron Rodgers is now in your division, right? We think the Miami's going to be good. Uh, Herbert, you know, there's this is a good, good conference. The, the pressure's on them this year. Like they gotta, one of these years, Eric, it's gotta be their year. They, they, they've taken turns so far with the Bengals, with the chiefs, but I, I feel like pressure's on Buffalo a little bit this year. Pressure's on. Hopefully, um, hopefully they can get it done. I'd like, I'd like to see Buffalo get a win, but I, I don't know. The AFC's nails this year, man. It is. The AFC is nails. Eric, Give us uh, your plugs. We mentioned we'll be doing the winning ticket on Friday, 6 o'clock p.m. Eastern time. Everybody come follow that. 
Come hang out with us on social media. What do you have coming up on your uh, show and uh, podcast this weekend? Um, My podcast, we're going to talk some NASCAR betting. We're going to talk some fantasy football. We're doing a fantasy football preview of the Jets and the Packers. And we're talking some Canadian Football League. And then my show this Tuesday, we're going to have an NFC South preview. Eric, buddy, thank you so much. We are on the road to the NFL season. AFC East in the books. Thanks so much, everyone, for hanging out with us. But the podcast will not end. Don't go anywhere. Still plenty more to come on That's What G Said. Horse racing fans, many of us have been using the DRF, the daily racing form, for years, studying the races, keeping up to date on news with all the articles. I remember looking for a copy at the local liquor store or picking one up at the local racetrack, wherever I was going. Now it's even easier and cheaper than ever to use DRF with DRF.com and the newly optimized DRF Mobile. You can get all the tracks that you want to bet and handicap. Past performances that are mobile optimized for on-the-go handicapping on your phone. So you go to drf.com from your mobile device, no additional cost. Tap the calendar icon on the top left. It opens all of the options for past performances and for the tools that are available. One click to bet now and DRF bets. Get real-time odds and scratches on race day. You can tap on any horse and you get those same DRF past performances that you're familiar with with a larger font for your mobile display. One click to formulator for charts, for replays if you get the formulator version. And even on the classic past performances, you get the home screen with horses, with odds, with buyers. You get a lifetime buyer speed figure graph. You can rotate your phone for the best view. And any horse that you click on, you'll see the running lines. You can easily move from horse to horse. The same data as those traditional classic DRF past performances. You get an interactive format, which is... Very similar to the DRF Classic version that you're used to on the desktop. Every card includes live data updated instantly with those scratches. And so you get the accessibility from desktop to phone, cross-device functionality. You can take your notes and save them from one device to the next and then access your account on any of your devices. On-the-go handicapping and wagering multiple formats to view you got the overview page with recent speed figures current days odds easy access to expert selections and analysis you got the buyer speed figure graph with lifetime buyer speed figures and chart notes for every horse and you got those traditional drf pass performances that are just newly optimized for your mobile phones they are constantly upgrading improving and making everything easier for you to get your handicapping done at drf.com better you want to spread your pony knowledge Fantasy come true. But no, 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 stable.
Download the Stable Duel app and play today. Daily Horse Racing Contest, StableDuel.com. Get those entries in and play, race, win. Let's get on over, talk some Friday racing for Prairie Meadows. A couple races I wanted to look at on the Friday evening card. They start the stakes races in the 6th with the Iowa Distaff. I thought the 6 horse, Jubella, was interesting. She's honest. That April 7th race, you know, she broke slow. On April the 28th, she hooked a ho- an off track that day. She still ran well. And then she came back on June the 11th, again was in a sloppy racetrack. Some legitimate excuses, but... Her races were really starting to peak. She was moving forward. Can she keep stepping forward off of that February 12th race? I think she can. I'm going to use the six all over the place. The three coastal charm looks like the one to catch. Ice Orchid maybe gives you some speed from the rail. In the seventh race, it's the Iowa Sprint. I thought the number three ultimate should get a nice trip in here with a good amount of speed. Oil money's pretty quick. Dean's list wants to sit. You have Strobe to the outside who wants to be forwardly placed. Our last chance, Joe Frazier. They all want to be close up. I think it should set up nicely for ultimate, who is six to one on the morning line. That's the number three. The eighth race was a tough one for me. It's a two-year-old Philly race. Couldn't really get that much of a feel for it, but I will move to the ninth and talk a little bit about the three-horse in here, Tap Dance Fever, who's versatile. You can eliminate the race in the mud two starts back, and then all of a sudden, you know, you see a good effort behind Classy Edition in the Grade 3 Royal Delta back in February. I think Tap Dance Fever fits very well. I'd also use Bluefield. In some spots, this is a fun race, the Sailorville race number nine at Prairie Meadows. That is on Friday evening. Good luck at Prairie Meadows on Friday night. Let's turn the page from Friday and move on over to Saturday. Saturday is a big day. It's the Indiana Derby at Horseshoe Indianapolis. Some really good stakes races. I'll give you a few horses I like throughout the card. In the fifth race, it looks like there's a lot of speed in there. I think it should set up nicely for the number seven, Krickenberger, who should get some pace to chase. Third start of the form cycle, third start on the turf. Lost to Phillies in the last couple races who just get the jump on her. And in here, she should get the better setup. She's six to one on the morning line in race number five. That's the number seven, Krickenberger. Let's move a little later on the card at... Indy, where are we headed? Where are we headed um, to race number eight? I'm looking at the number one in here. Keystone Field. If you just toss his turf race two starts back when he was wide and he didn't get the greatest of trips, look at his recent form on the dirt and on the main track. It's been fantastic. He was fourth in the Pimlico Special behind Rattle and Roll. Rattle and Roll won three in a row and then was second in the grade one Stephen Foster. He had a race where he was in the Razorback behind Last Samurai, West Will Power, Law Professor, who all came out to win. He's coming out of great stakes races where he's been facing tougher. Now he gets to save ground. He has some versatility. He has a little speed, but he can sit and pass horses. And he's 6-1 to one on the morning line. I like the number one, Keystone Field, in the 8th there at Indy. The ninth race is the Jonathan B. Schuster Memorial, mile and 16th on the turf. I thought the 6th Kentucky Ghost, who's faced open company as of late. Really tough open company in graded stakes races. Another one where he's getting a little bit of class relief here. This is uh, for 4-year-olds and up, and it's going a mile and a 16th on the turf. Kentucky Ghost comes out of the grade 3 
Arlington was behind set piece, has faced Annapolis recently, Emmanuel, Hong Kong, Harry. We're talking about a lot classier than this particular group. I think it's a good spot for the six Kentucky Ghost. Now, the horse to beat, in my opinion, is the number eight Verstappen, who is recently just in fantastic form. I mean, he won the grade two Elkhorn two starts back, faced a little bit too tough in the Man of War last time out, but he's been in excellent form. McLovin is also a horse who I will be playing. He can fire a big one. I wish he had one race to start the year. This will be his first start since September of 2022, so we're talking a long layoff. That's race number nine at Horseshoe Indy. As we move to the 10th race, I like the one Princess Theorem. Again, another horse whose form is just really consistent, fits very well in here, comes out of races that she has faced better. She comes out of a race where she was behind White Beam, Sopron Basilia, and Bipartisanship. Bipartisanship won a stakes at Parks next out. Sopron Basilia won a grade three at Delaware. Two starts back, she was behind Market Segmentation, who's now a grade one winner and has won three in a row. Four straight nice efforts for Princess Theorem. A much better than looks effort last time out at Pimlico. I like the one Princess Theorem in race number 10. Continuing on, it's the Indiana Oaks. Next in race number 11, I thought the three Merlaza. If you're looking for a a value play or a price horse, I would use the three. Divining purpose and tax will will probably be pretty tough in there. But I did think the three, you can give maybe a shot back and one more chance. And we move to the 12th, the Indiana Derby. Verifying from a class perspective seems to fit really well. I thought the eight Cagliostro was sort of intriguing here. The one transect, if you're looking for a bigger price, I would also give a look to second start back off the short break. Um, just put a line through the goss. I'm on the muddy track. One, five, and eight combos for me in the Indiana Derby. It's a look at Saturday over at Indy. Best of luck there Saturday at Indy. And we're going to move to Belmont Park and talk about some of the Belmont Park Saturday cards. Let's get over to Belmont Park for Saturday. A couple stakes races on the card. We will start in race number five with the Suburban. You're going to have Charge It as a heavy favorite in there. And while on paper he towers over this field, he's been a little disappointing this year. Felt like after the start of the year, we were going to see him as one of the better older horses. And when he's faced the top company, it seemed like it's been a little too tough for him. Now he loves Belmont Park. Two best races have been here at Belmont. So you'd... Based on speed figures, his two best. He's going to be really tough. I thought Tonal Impact was interesting. He can be a little closer in here from the inside. He's sharp. He's in good form. This isn't the strongest graded stakes in the world. So I think he's the strong alternative if you're, you know, trying to play against. Let's move a little later on the Belmont card. Where are we heading next to race number eight? This one is the grade one Belmont Oaks. I thought the number six Be Your Best was a little bit intriguing. She chased Lone Speed last time out in prerequisite, who was able to go gate to wire. And in this race, I think Be Your Best will get a little more pace to chase. Now, her first start of the year was in the Appalachian, and it was her first start since November, and she just didn't really fire that day. But she came back a few months later in the Wonder again last time out and was much better. So I like her pattern coming into this. I think she fits well. The number one mission of joy to me is the horse to beat. The number five prerequisite, again, could get a little brave on the front end. You dive into this field, 
she's probably the quickest and most naturally the fastest. She can also sit off a little bit if need be. So probably uh, combos of one, five, and six for me in here as my top plays uh, or the the top selections in this race in a really contentious race. I mean, you want to make a case for the the new faces of the three or the nine kind of wild cards? Sure. You want to make a case for the four Papilio or the seven Asprey, who's in good form? Then some long shots uh, like the two and the eight who might be able to get nice trips in here. Let's go six one five in the Belmont Oaks. We move along to race number nine. It's a first level allowance. I like the two in here, Elusive Edge. That May 13th race, he was sitting inside. He was within two. He kind of got bumped around. He had nowhere to go. He got shuffled back. He tipped out. It was a pretty good third that day. And the, the runner-up, Bold Journey, came right back to win their next start. And then last time out, after a fast start, he had to battle on the inside of two others. He lost to Bold Journey, who he was right behind in that prior race. So I, I'm hoping he sits just behind. I'd love to, to kind of see maybe one other go, but you look at this field and he may be the quickest. So he should be forwardly placed. He could be on the lead or sitting right behind. I like the number two elusive edge. As we move to race number, I mean, others in here that are interesting, the 11 would be uh, Inflation Nation, third off the bench, first time Lasix, dropping out of stakes company. I think that's the horse to beat. The Belmont Derby is a fantastic betting race on paper. Web Slinger makes a lot of sense. He's in great form. Far Bridge, two starts back, just missed. He cost me a ton of money. Then last time out, he got caught in, in between horses in a bad spot. He backed up. He ended up losing two lengths of positioning. He came on again up the inside. Far Bridge fits very well in here. I thought both the 10 and the 11 are horses that you could include uh, in this one. Redistricting and the Foxes. I'm not sure if Kalik will get the same type of trip he's been getting in his last few. 4, 5, 10, and 11 for me in the Belmont Derby. In race number 11, it's the grade three victory ride. A really contentious field in a good betting race here. I thought the number three, Vava, coming off of a win at Churchill Downs. Had a good start, sat a couple lengths off, was out wide in that second flight. If you toss the two races going longer when she ran into pretty mischievous, the Kentucky Oaks winner, that form looks so much better. The number three, Vava, will be using along with the number one, Interpolate. Maple Leaf Mel's uh, very intriguing, but I think the eight red carpet ready is probably the one to beat with her versatility. So lots of one threes and eights for me. The three Vava as the play, some Maple Leaf Mel underneath spots in the grade three victory ride. And then to close things out, race number 12, I thought left me behind getting some class relief. A horse who can pass some horses, gets back to turf and exit some really strong races with three next out winners on May the 6th. On uh, March the 17th was behind Kalik. Boston Strong Mama to the outside. Screw Loose will be in the mix for me, no doubt. And Blue Plate Special, probably the horse to beat. I'd give a look to Kern River, too, if you're going a little deeper. Dive into Saturday at Belmont Park. Closing weekend at Belmont Park as Saratoga opens next week. And we're getting ready for those summer meets. Saratoga and Del Mar will be coming soon. Now... I want to let you know about one of the longtime sponsors of That's What G Said podcast, Cindy Carava. She's a full-service realtor, so if you need any help with buying, with selling, with leasing, Cindy Carava will make your life easier. She connect you, 
can connect you to vendors if you need help with home improvement. She can connect you to lenders if you need help with the loan process. Or maybe you're just curious to see how much your home is worth. She'll do a free market analysis of your home's value. C-I-N-D-Y-C-A-R-A-V-A dot com. Cindy Carava dot com. Let's move on over and talk some Louisiana Downs. Let's go to Saturday at Louisiana Downs. We're going to look at races three and six for Saturday, July the 8th. In the third, I'm looking at the number one, Roses are Gray. Bryant has only sent a couple live runners to Louisiana so far. And Roses are Gray recently has been good. And really overall, you kind of dive into her body of work. She's only raced 10 times, and she's been in pretty good form. Her last seven or so starts... You can't really knock much of what she's done. A couple of those races were against better at Sam Houston. Optional 50 non-winners of two. This is a fantastic spot for her. I think she can save ground from the inside. She's run well right at around this trip. She's a winner at a mile at Sam Houston. And she was a winner at a mile at Lone Star last time out. Roses are great. 5-1 to one on the morning line. That's the play for me in the third at Louisiana. Moving to race number six, I'm also going to go to the number one in here, just passing through. This will be a mile on the turf for optional 35 claimers, non-winners of two on the year. I think she can save all the ground in here. She fits well under the conditions because um, this is for a claiming price of 35000 and that's what she's in for with the non-winners of two or the optional 35 claiming tag. She's sharp. She has won back-to-back races. She's won two over this turf course in her career. And she's a horse who should get a nice trip mid-pack. I think she can sit a little closer than she had been in you know some of her races last year and in 2022. But just passing through for Shane Wilson, Jose Guerrero aboard in excellent form, looking for a third in a row. The number one, just passing through. There's a look at race number six and two plays for Saturday at Louisiana Downs. If you're looking for a gift for someone, why not a candle? Try sarahcandles.com, C-E-R-A, candles.com. Or if you're someone who loves candles, these are unique because they are all natural, soy wax, no toxins, no carcinogens, no pollutants. SarahCandles.com, C-E-R-A Candles.com. Use that promo code G-I-N-O. It'll give you 10% off your purchase. Let's finish up with Sunday, Louisiana Downs. We're going to look at races one and six. And in the first, I thought there was a good amount of speed in here. You got Jago from the inside, the two iconic Bonnet, Rosalie's Destiny, all could be quick. You have the six peaceful moment who wants to be forwardly placed. I could see both the seven and the eight also being close. And that leaves the five. She's a cat who will come running. She's getting class relief. She's getting a little more distance. And I think she just fits really, really well in here with possibilities of one, two, three, six, and eight all flashing more speed. The number five, she's a cat, seven to two on the morning line. Let's move to race number six. And I'm going to look at the number seven in here, Phantom Ride. This guy has just been pretty good on the dirt. Eliminate the turf race, eliminate the two synthetic tries, and now you're left with a horse who has a couple wins on the dirt. Most recently, he's just kind of trying to figure out where he fits. He was a second-place finisher against non-winners of three over at Lone Star after a few months off, but he has nice tactical speed, and he has a lot of upside. The number seven, Phantom Ride, 4-1 to on the morning line. Let's look at Louisiana Downs Sunday. Best of luck this weekend out at Louisiana.
Let's finish up with this week in wrestling. Chad Cooper joins me to talk about Money in the Bank, Raw. We talk about AEW, Collision, Dynamite, and NXT. Everything going on in the world of wrestling with Koopaloo, Chad Coop. Here it is, folks. Fight of the night. I'm trying to claim that belt once and for all. It's this week's wrestling recap. All right, calm down. And here he is, your hometown hero, your reigning champ, the one and only Chad Cooper. Oh, it's your favorite time of the week again. It's time to talk about everything going on in the world of wrestling. We will talk WWE, Raw, SmackDown. We'll talk about Money in the Bank from last week. We'll get into NXT and AEW, Collision, Dynamite. What's going on on Rampage? Chad Cooper, Scoops Coop. You can follow him on Threads where he is verified. <laughs> A loop joins us each and every week. My man, how you doing this week? I'm hanging in there, sir. Hanging in there. How are you? No complaints. Another fun week in the world of wrestling coming off of a, a great money in the bank. And WWE in the last year or so, I, I'm not sure if this was a Triple H thing or a Nick Khan thing or who had the idea. But it, it's not a coincidence that they've gone, they've planned out to go international to different locations in the last year. More than I can remember, probably in like 10 years combined, Chad, as far as. They've always gone on tours, and they've always gone to these locations, right? But they've rarely had premier live events or pay-per-views from them. But wow, we've seen London, we you know Saudi Arabia. They've been going to. We've seen uh, in the last couple of years the UK a couple times, uh, Puerto Rico, all the different locations, and the fans and the crowd. How excited they are at these places! It just makes these shows so much better. And they broke some records, right? Friday night SmackDown, they were overseas on Friday that set a record. Um, Most successful, highest grossing money in the bank of all time. Uh, it set a record for the highest grossing arena event in WWE history. Friday night SmackDown from the O2 became the highest grossing SmackDown <clears throat> of all time. The weekend generated a combined gate of more than 5.4 million. The event became the most social money in the bank of all time. The video views of the Bloodline Civil War match reached 40 million in the first 48 hours, four times the amount from the top clip of Night of Champions. Uh, Friday's SmackDown, 2.51 million viewers, which was up Ooh. 17% from last year. It was number one in the demographic with and a it was point recorded. <laughs> seven. It was uh, recorded. Which, which was recorded. Delayed. So it yeah, had 897 thousand viewers in the demo um i'm not trying to like pile on but if we're playing the game just to compare that's more than aew's been getting recently for their full shows for dynamite and wwe had that in the demo uh 897 so just and i'm only i'm not saying that to say oh pile on aew it's just because like any sports team or any sports league right it goes up and down. You have good years. You have bad years. It's cyclical. When AEW started, it wasn't a great time for WWE. They had all the buzz. Once they brought in Punk, those those months where they were bringing in Punk, Daniel Bryan, Adam, uh, you know, all these new guys, they were the rage. And now 
the momentum has flipped back the other way. I think a lot of it had to do with Triple H taking over, but just seeing these numbers now and reading them and looking at them, it's it's you know it it's got to be mentioned because it, it it's not always like this. Just uh, just a year ago or so, the common vibe online was that AEW was worlds better than WWE, and that, and that's really flipped a lot. Well, AEW made their bed and they're lying in it. And if we want to go back and listen to the Jerichos and the Bucks with their little snippets and Tony Khan popping off, talking about, you know, we're going to win a war and all this. And it, that's it, it never it, it got close maybe one week and that was it. And, and I think uh, that is that what, what you're hitting on, what probably irked a lot of um, either people from WWE or just people that have been fans of WWE for a long time. It's not that it was this competition but all of a sudden there's this new company coming in of course they want to do well of course they're going to say positive things but i didn't i didn't always love the needing to go after and beat wwe unless unless you're sure you're going to beat them right that's one of those things where if you call someone out you better be careful i'm not saying they needed to kiss their ass i don't even mind as much when they here and there reference a storyline or make mention of something on their program it was just like you said they sort of said we're going to beat them in the ratings like they they and just came out and said we're going to be a better show we're better like it always had to be a we're better um when sort of weird like i think we all understood that like, WWE has such a big head start and advantage over them they've been a, a company for years they're just sort of it's like when you when someone says they want a Kleenex instead of a tissue when people talk about <laughs> WWE they mean they mean wrestling right they yeah. they, they say WWE or WrestleMania Especially when they mean when they were signing a lot of their and I'm not saying cast offs, but those that were being released by WWE majority of them signed with AEW. Um, yep. And so there was a, um, it, like a buzz just, for that. Like, you people kind of wanted to see what was done with them. And again, like we said, it's, it's sort of been that AEW has been, I'm, I'm going to say fine. Their product that they put on, on TV, like consistently, is solid, solid, but they had opportunities where they were getting a lot of really great talent and like, Squandered. I don't think they've run with it enough. You know, they just have Southern term down here, Gino, they squandered an opportunity. Yeah. And it's not, it's not as if they're going out of business and they, and it's not as if people are completely turning everything off, but what we've seen with collision in a few weeks already with, with it's gone to half the numbers. they, it seems like they like the splash and then can't continue to tell the story after that. That was well, something there was, saw- there was absolutely zero buzz for collision last Saturday, but just because of money in the bank and you would thought, okay, maybe that'll lead into people sticking around and watching collision. I don't even think it trended in the top 20 of Twitter later on. Yeah, it was taped. Punk wasn't on there. And boy, it took a massive hit, a massive hit in the ratings, a massive hit. But after you watched, and this was one of the longer PLEs for WWE, Money in the Bank, you know, it came on, what, 2 p.m. Central Time? Literally after 5 o'clock, the main event was finished. That's pretty long for a WWE PLE. It is. People are sort of a little tired at that point, too, right? Right. You're not going to go into, well, let me watch two more hours of professional wrestling, but... After watching Money in the Bank, 
where do you put that money? I, I know, and we're, we're going to get into it here in just a second, but my question to you, Gino, would be, yeah, we were a little disappointed that L.A. Knight didn't win that briefcase. I think everyone, you and I both wanted it. I know I picked Damian Priest. It, it didn't work out, and we'll talk about the cash-in stuff in a little bit. But where do you rank this money in the bank, PLE, um, to previous? Because it was a pretty damn good show. Yeah, I think overall, very, very good top to bottom. What I liked about this is that it was a very good show, solid in ring. But from a storytelling standpoint, like every match had the, the stories, right? That It wasn't just a, a show that, you know, in a few years you look back and you go, oh, there were some good matches on the show, but nothing had that the story to make you care a little bit more. I mean, you go from the top to the bottom, you had... All these guys trying to get this briefcase to have a really big opportunity. And basically, like the story of LA Knight in the match, they teased us with LA Knight getting to the top. And that's why I'm <laughs> and that's why I'm okay with it. Because it wasn't as if LA Knight was just nothing in this match. He had a spot or two and that was it. They knew that everybody wanted him to win. And they they told us that story and then they teased us with it. I think it was it's a great thing to do with a baby face. And now uh, he's going to become a baby face soon, or he's a, either a tweener well, the or the question, guy. The question you and I both had, um, where to go with here, from here with him? It looks like they're going, what, Ricochet, Logan Paul? I would have loved to seen L.A. Knight, Logan Paul. So we're heading into SmackDown with L.A. Knight. Where do you think they go with this kid? Austin Theory. I think he's got to okay. come out right away, and I think that would be perfect. You have him take what, – for whatever reason now – the Austin Theory thing, he he's been non-existent the last since WrestleMania. Yeah, since beating True. John Cena at WrestleMania, like what do what do we remember about Austin Theory? Um, Zero, nothing. Not, they didn't get him in the Money in the Bank, which was kind of weird that they didn't choose to have him in there, as he felt like sort of one of the guys that would have been in there, you know. Um, but I think maybe after last year, they decided just to keep him out of that. He's just not hot right now. An LA Knight with the US title would Ella would make that so much more intriguing right now whenever he went out went out there. So I think that's the direction you go with him. Okay. You feel like Damian Priest is sort of involved with, you know, Finn and Seth. And then you so, feel like he's and I'm glad you brought Priest up. I great call. You you picked I, that one and you I almost had it. The, you almost I, got the Koopa Loop call of the night. <laughs> I thought that was the reason why he would win it is because we were going to do a quick cash in. Maybe not Finn beating Seth, but Seth going over on Finn and winning. And then, of course, he slides the briefcase in. And then it was teased again on Monday night, which was a fantastic tease because I think you and I and everyone else both knew, okay, he's going to get involved. And what happens? Here comes Finn. I just thought the way... The, the reason why they were going to put it on Priest is Priest was going to do a quick cash-in, and I guess that's not what we're going to get. And Priest, even, and Priest even said at the beginning of Raw, if I decide to cash in on you, Seth Rollins, I can do a, a plethora of different things with this briefcase. I thought that was interesting, yep. but I thought I thought for sure if Priest's going to get this briefcase, it's going to be a quick cash-in, and it wasn't. As you mentioned, L.A. Knight... Um... 
is now looking for somewhere to go. Maybe we point him over to Theory. But Logan Paul and Ricochet look like they are going to be on a collision course at WrestleMania hey, or at we've SummerSlam. We've been talking about Ricochet forever, right? When right. Are you getting his elevation? Well, this is it, pal. <laughs> this is the biggest moment of your life, uh, your career right here, where you're going to be facing a guy who is uh, a big-time star. And Incredible. Excellent in the ring. And uh, How what they good did, is Logan Paul? I can't believe July... 2023 I'm saying Logan How Paul good is, is Logan Paul. Good. I know I know and What what I like here is They blew this spot it, And it was Ricochet's fault they were A little bit off and I And I, I got a sort of feel for Ricochet In this position right because You're not in there with another wrestler Like this was a big spot for him So I'm sure he wasn't like Damn I we gotta stop this and do Like we'll get the he wanted to hit this spot with Logan out there and everyone watching, and this is a big moment for him. So they they end up hitting this Spanish fly. It, it was off a little bit. They the fall looked were looked kind of bad, but Logan was fine. He talked about it. he's got some scrapes on his back and stuff. But then now they can use this as a storyline. He mentioned Ricochet is unsafe and unprofessional, and you know we weren't supposed to go through with that, and he just went through with that and screw that guy, and now you know so. They can use that as fuel for their feud, and this will be great because while – I mean I, I would love to see Ricochet win this match obviously, but I don't think – I think Logan Paul could probably get the win here, and this could probably be like a big singles win for him because Logan's been in some matches and lost. Even just being in this could be really good for Ricochet, just getting yeah. the eyeballs on him. This is the, this is the, the, like the highest profile thing he's going to have done. Since since those Will Ospreay things were flying all over the internet. Remember that? They were doing <laughs> oh, the dance yeah. thing. Yeah. Before he came to WWE NXT. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's uh man, you just 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 things are so fluid and there's so many creative storylines in WWE. That's why they continue to get people to come back and watch his show week after week. Some storylines do not work. They don't. I can list a handful of them. But it seems like the ones that do work, Gino, it makes you forget about the ones that do not work. And this is what WWE has been absolutely great about for for a long time now. And now that Triple H is on the helm, it just seems like he's polished everything up and it's just everything's for a reason in these post-shows, these press conferences. And, you know, it was questioned about uh, someone asked a question about L.A. night. And he said, hey, all good things come to those who wait. And he was right after the WrestleMania when he was pegged and drilled about why didn't Cody go over? It's working out so far. It's working out. So this is I think you and I, this was our. Our, our biggest complaint with AEW, they don't have to have storylines identical to AEW, but man, it sure does help to get me invested in and wanting to watch week after week, because I don't know about you, Gino, going into AEW, I'm already going into with a negative attitude, so that means I'm probably not going to like it, even if it is good. You're going to have to talk me into it, Now I shouldn't have to do that. When When there's things you're sort of looking forward to... When you know what's coming, when they've done a good job of setting stuff up on both shows, I think it's that way. You know what I mean? There are sometimes when 
and it's not that way recently, but there have been a lot of times through the last couple of years where Raw, you know, feels like a slog when you don't know what's promoted. They don't have anything promoted. There's not really a big title match. And you're just sort of getting some of the same rematches. We haven't been getting that sort of style a lot. They've changed it up. They've freshened it up. I think for AEW, they're going to figure some things out. I do like the way they're sort of pacing the show. I think a little slower yeah, now because yeah, of yeah. Collision. You know, they're doing some things, some things a little bit better. Um, but it does just feel like this is a great time period for the WWE. Now, one thing that I'm I'm mixed on. Uh-oh. We had Liv and Raquel beat <laughs> Ronda and Shayna. So this is weird just because it, it's kind of blending some stuff behind the scenes with on camera, right? On on camera, Ronda and Shayna just got together as a tag team, like just recently. They've only had, I think, one title defense. They they got together right before WrestleMania. They were hurt for a little bit. They came back, and it looked like they were going to be this dominant tag team for a while. They had a match against Liv and Raquel at Money in the Bank, and then in the middle of the match, Shayna turns on Ronda. We find out that it looks like Ronda is going to be leaving soon, possibly even going back to fighting. Um, but she, I don't think she's going to be around long. So they just said. Oh, Ronda's gonna leave soon. Fast forward. So they had to just fast forward the hell out of this feud all the way to the end or the storyline. Raquel's way, been losing every week on television in singles matches. Liv just came back. They just they just um combine the titles with the NXT women's tag team titles just recently. I mean, so I think all of this kind of came quickly. Uh so it's weird because no, it's weird. No, As a story, no, it doesn't make weird. sense, right? It there needed not. to be a couple more months of this before there was a turn. So let me just say, that's not great. Now, why I feel mixed about this is two, a couple things. I do like Liv and Raquel as a team together. I think they've sort of grown into being a good team. The fans like them. They've got a good sort of size and speed dynamic. They're, they're really fun baby faces. They've done some good tandem stuff. That's a positive. Shayna Baszler cut the best promo of her entire life on Monday. But, and I think she looked incredible. A lot of people on in the internet wrestling. Oh, it was amazing. Like, we don't have to hear you talk anymore. Say, when she yeah. said that, I said, no way. She came out and she just said, nobody wants to hear you talk anymore. And when you're good friends with someone like her and Rhonda are, you sort of know the things that that's, that's probably something that bothers Rhonda. Right, I'm sure that's something that is that Rhonda is self conscious about, and Shayna, like pointing that out, that's one of those things that's like your friend or your brother or sister would get. You know what I mean? Like they'd yeah. say that thing that you know is just gonna make your hairs curl and just oh my god. And so you can kind of feel it. I think since Rhonda's come back, I don't think it's been good. No, not last year when she came back at WrestleMania, her first run was awesome, was great. I thought it was fantastic. Her second run wasn't the same. They couldn't quite figure it out. It this it's I thought that her and Shayna together as a tag team was going to be good for her. It was going to be like a be, a really good version of her. But if if this is just going to get rid of Ronda and she's going to want to leave, and at the end of all of this, if it gets Shayna Baszler back to a really good place as a top level heel, someone that can vie for the title. I think it's done a good job. Like it's served a purpose, right? It's gotten somebody over. Shayna came up from NXT. She was a longtime NXT women's champion. She was like big 
in elimination chamber matches. We thought she was going to win rumbles all the time. Like, and then all of a sudden it fell off. She had the dominant tag team thing for a while with Nia Jax. They've done some weird stuff with her. But all of a sudden in one night, Chad, I felt like, oh, wow. If she beats Ronda and like looks good coming out of this, you just elevate her right back up to face whoever's the champ. Well, I think you elevate her to face Rhea Ripley because I think she's going to be a badass baby face. I agree. Because yeah. when she goes over on Ronda, it's going to blow up. And and there's and there's your legit feud because it looks like we're finally going to get Becky and probably Trish at SummerSlam. Mm-hmm. We're going to get a different version of Becky slash I think her and Zoe are working next week. I think we actually get that payoff at SummerSlam. So that keeps Becky out of the picture. I think you do Rhea and Shayna at SummerSlam. I, I think she comes out of this uh, looking so like a badass. you think this happens if before not, SummerSlam even? Lost. All hope's think, lost for this girl. So you think she beats Ronda like on TV one of the next few weeks? Absolutely. I think it's quick and gone, yes. Oh, that would be awesome. Yeah. So, yeah. It, okay, let's say let's say that's a that's a possibility. They, they just say, you know what? Let's have Ronda. Uh, Shayna just beats her dominant, and then – we have her elevated right there to SummerSlam. Let's say, how are you going to boo her if she goes over on Ronda? Because people are going to no, you're boo not. The you're, no, you're, out of you're Ronda because she's taking her ball and going home yet again. You are, you are right. Shane, this is going to turn. If they do this correctly, this is going to turn Shayna into a baby face, and she could be a badass baby face, and that, and that could be great for Shayna because at, as that character, she like Ronda, her strength isn't talking, but but. Shayna is much better than Ronda at talking, right? At, at like, getting her point across and cutting a, a promo. Um, so if she's as bad as Babyface, she doesn't even really need to talk all that much, right? She can just beat at, say, say quick stuff like she did the other night, and then be tough. And so if she, let's say they want to do that match at SummerSlam. Let's say Ronda, they're going to give her a, a bigger match before she leaves, and that's it. Do we go... Do you think they go triple threat Rhea with the two women's tag team champions? They uh, sort of have teased a little bit with Raquel. They have. But they, but they keep they keep throwing Natty out there with Rhea. Well, like, and I they don't think- do that. And let me throw something else. That I, I just think it's happening. I think Sonya Deville and Chelsea Green are about to win these tag team titles. And maybe that's where they go. And then you you put Rhea or Raquel or the both of them. Uh, you know, you go Raquel or Liv up to Rhea. Right? I think I think Liv Liv gets pinned. I mean, what we just saw Sonya and Chelsea yet again win a gauntlet match to be, yep. become, and the they look one. very they're not, good. Look, they're not doing that for oh, this is just another an easy win for Raquel and Liv. There's a reason why they won that match, and I think they're going to win the titles. I thought they were going to win the titles previously, and this past Monday night. Uh, I, mean, I know they keep surprising people, but they won that match for a reason. I think they're winning these titles back. Or, well, I think they're could, winning these titles from these two. And if you do that, you could put a couple of months. Like, all of a sudden, you could have Raquel live. We're, we're not live. too long from SummerSlam, Gino. No, and, and then all of a sudden, you have Raquel live Shayna as three challengers for Rhea. You could have coming up for the next four or five months. Right, and you could have matches. You could actually have some little elimination deal each week. I I don't know how you do it, 
maybe you have Natty's involved, as you sure. mentioned. Her but, and but Rhea now you're, had a really good match. It could. We, well, the problem we've had for a while is we keep saying, "Who is there for Rhea?" Right. Right. Now once I they moved, we're gonna be, get there. Yeah. Once they moved Bianca over, and you knew Becky was involved with Trish. You're looking at this going like there just doesn't seem like there's anyone there now all of a sudden Okay, it could be Raquel could be Liv, maybe Shayna after the Ronda stuff So lots of good possibilities well, I here. I think we worked that out now. Here's the interesting thing as we stick with um, I'm not trying to take over your show G. Keep no just, you're going in good direction. Please I my just friend. Get ex- I get excited. I let's know you I like about, it when you do Let's talk about the others women's match that was on it's a good money call. in the bank. Okay, Good call. We call we we both you and I thought that EO or Bailey were was likely going to win this. EO wins this. Now, EO and Asuka is gonna be fantastic. We think that's gonna be a fantastic feud. No, what I thought was interesting is though, Bianca keeps interfering, but she doesn't interfere with Charlotte. She's been interfering with Asuka. So I'm kind of thrown off a little bit. Where do you see this briefcase with EO coming into play with? Oscar, Bianca, and Charlotte. Do you so think I, we we eventually get Charlotte and Bianca go their own way? I think we'll get a triple threat at SummerSlam. Okay, with the three of them. Okay, that Oscar just keeps the belt because and like she holds on to it, and I think it'll spin off to Charlotte and Bianca having okay. their own, and then I think that's where maybe EO gets involved with Oscar because I think we're gonna get EO Bailey. Okay, Can we oh, get an sure, EO sure. Bailey sure. match at SummerSlam. Spot. Yeah, yeah after right. The latter spot was really good. So I think we get, I think we could get an EO Bailey because that's what could be really cool. We could have like five or six women's matches on the SummerSlam card. The way it's setting up right now, that just very meaningful about, too. They're not that are single that match. are all well. And the reason why we're having them is because there's stories to be told with them. Right? And you know, Bailey's going to want that briefcase on the line match, and you know we're going to get that. Yeah, because you got Becky and Trish. Zoe's in the mix there, possibly even Lita with them. You've got yes. Bailey, EO, what's ever going on with them. You've got Charlotte, Asuka, and Bianca, Bianca what's ever going on with them. Then You've Rhea. got Rhea and what's going on with her and possibly Liv and Raquel. And then we've got what's going on with Ronda and Shayna. All right now. Don't forget about Chelsea and Sonia, who are your number one contenders for the tag team titles. So they're going to be in the mix somewhere. So that is unbelievable to think about all of those different women who right now have a story or have a purpose on the the roster as far as storyline and not just going out there and, you know, killing a few minutes of TV time. That's some really good stuff. We know what's going to happen with Gunther. Drew McIntyre looks like his direction. Drew is basically um, fill in Randy Orton for now. Because him and Riddle are uh, are like a tag team. Drew's like the the older <laughs> veteran for Riddle, and they at go least, out and have. At least, uh, we, at least we're getting Riddle out of KO and Sammy. Yeah, right? yeah. I, and this I, is good I for Drew. A big fan of that. This is good for Drew. I, this fits. Like this fits. You know, this is where Drew should be. Drew and Gunther will have an absolute banger of a match, and uh, yeah, I mean, and that fits well. Cody Rhodes, we sort of know where he's going to be now. He came out, he looked like he was going to talk with Seth Rollins and maybe make a challenge to Seth for the title, but he's interrupted by Brock. Um, So we'll finish that at SummerSlam with Cody and with uh, with Brock. And that is where we thought we were going. I think that makes a whole lot of sense. I guess the, the match, I would say, was 
was not much at Money in the Bank. Cody Dominic, I thought I thought it would be a little bit more. The crowd was into it, but it was kind of short. I agree. It was like eight and a half. They didn't really even give you. It was like a really just solidly clean win for Cody. They didn't even give you like some tease spots that Dominic was going to cheat and win, which I I sort of thought they were going to do. Um, but it it was solid. Crowd was really into it. And again, looks like Judgment Day is all involved with Rollins. They're also involved with Carmelo Hayes. Judgment Day, you know, um, which is kind of fun. So this whole show, so much story. And and I guess maybe that would have been one of my other knocks on like the Seth Finn match. I think the match was like a B because they were sort of telling the story. It only went 12 and a half minutes instead of like a match where those two guys could go, you know, 25 if they, you know, to really have a a, a, a really five star match. But it was more that they're telling the story. It was it doesn't seem like that was the final match between Rollins and Seth. Or the finishing to this feud, you know, uh, Priest distracted Finn when it looked like Finn was going to win. So I think this is continuing. That's what it was a little bit more of telling a story than, hey, these two guys are going to go out and have the end of the feud, 25-minute five-star classic. Well, and I can tell you this, to go back to Dom, uh, Dom and Seth put on a damn good main event on Raw. Oh, that was very good. I mean, it it is. I was a little little disappointed. I understand. Look, I'm not the biggest Cody Rhodes fan in the world. You know that. Everyone knows that. Believe me. I I, I get a message or two every now and then asking why I'm hating. I'm not hating. I just thought Brock would get involved, but we waited until Monday for Brock to get involved. No, it doesn't hurt Dom. Would it have hurt Cody? Maybe if somebody would have got involved, but a clean no, it would is never going to happen. Uh. The the Finn Seth match was was really good. I just again, as I said at the beginning of this, I thought the reason of leading off with the men's money in the bank with Damian win it, we would get a quick cash in later that night at this show. And we didn't. But I, I think we know where we're going with this. This Finn, the judgment day is is do you expect them to go to NXT and lose to Carmelo and Trick? I mean there's got to be something happening here. I don't think that Damien is going to be taking many pins with this briefcase in his hand. If you catch my drift. No, no, I agree. I'm, I'm very intrigued by it. I could see them doing some sort of a tag situation where trick gets pinned, where trick takes the L. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, I, I love, I like what they're doing. I like how they're tying a lot of this together. And then we finished up with the Usos. Versus the bloodline in the bloodline civil war 32 minutes This was like an episode of a tv show more than it was a match You know it's funny because it was like a slow paced but just like dramatic Everything for real impact and effect And the last couple minutes of this match were just awesome so good And now are do you think we're gonna get jay Roman or are we going to get some sort of triple threat fatal four way where it's all of these guys or the Usos and Roman because that that's where we're going now right I mean it, at SummerSlam it's going to be Roman versus either the Usos one of them all three of these guys I don't think there's another person out there that's going to come in between now and then it no, no he got pinned no. this is the first time Roman's been pinned in how long someone deserves a title shot because of that and the post match was just phenomenal, uh, especially on the Roman Reigns end of it. Uh, his acting, sitting outside of the ring on the ring apron, 
trying to figure out what just happened. I mean, a year ago, he had everything. He's had everything for, what, 400, 500, 600 days, it seems like. And one of the Uses beat him. And I know there was a contingent out there that were very disappointing that Roman got pinned. This match doesn't make sense if one of the Usos pins Solo. Because this is not about Solo right now. No. No, it's not. We've seen, we, we just, Roman needs to get pinned. It's about the, it, and it's also the fact that Roman doesn't have the help that he's always had. He doesn't have everybody out there in his bloodline. How many times was it one of the Usos who came through and, you know, they're not there now. And this is just continuing to be a fantastic story. One of the best they've ever told. The only thing I feel weird about with this is that, and it's kind of the same thing I was, I felt with the, when, when it was Sammy that was around is that. One of the Usos or Jey Uso beating Roman is the best way to end this story, right? That if you were telling a perfect story, that would be the best way. One of the family members beating him after everything. But is it the best thing for one of them to be the WWE champion, right? Are they the guy? Are they big enough right now to do the what comes next after Roman? I'm going to I'm going to answer that question and say no. And that's my problem. I don't think so either. I still don't feel I still don't feel that way. No. I still feel like one of them beating him would be the best end of the story, right? And I like I felt that way about Sammy. Sammy beating Roman would have been a better end of the story than Cody for for the bloodline stuff, you know, because Sammy was involved, he was a part of it, he was in the middle of it. But so so where do we go after SummerSlam? Say it's Jay Uso. Against Roman Reigns for the world title, Roman goes over. What do you What are you booking after that? That the bloodline comes all together. They're one big family now again. What What, what direction do you go as we head into Royal Rumble? Then you know the road to WrestleMania. No, because I think I think after Roman loses, I think he needs to lose, and then he needs to go crazy, be a crazy bad guy. And turn it as he becomes a good guy again, right? Okay. Something okay. like he's the bad guy, he's doing evil stuff. And then there's a moment when the Usos are out there and, you know, there's five guys beating the crap out of them and Roman Reigns comes out for the save, you gotcha. know, like a year down the line. And then Roman's again a baby face and he becomes the, when he turns baby face, he will be the ultimate baby face. Sure. Be- because of how much people respect Roman now. But I do. Yeah, because if you believe that we're going back to Cody Roman, <clears throat> I don't know if we get that baby face turn because I don't think Cody's going to be the heel. I don't know. It's 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 there's a lot yeah. of things to happen between now and then. You've got SummerSlam, then you've got Rumble, and then at the same time you've got Damian Priest with a briefcase. I don't know. I don't know. That doesn't seem like he's coming over and cashing it in on Roman, but. Just after SummerSlam, where do you go from here if Roman goes over on the Usos? I think we hit on most of the things that sort of carried over to Monday Night Raw, too. Uh, trying to think of anything else looking through Raw. No, I, think we got, I mean, we got most of the— Yeah, uh, we got most of it. it the was, major it was, stuff. It was, it, was, it was a good Raw. It was. Uh, it was a very good Raw with a very good main event. Um, I, I 
you know, the, the question I have here is what are we doing with Sammy and, and Kevin Owens? That's a good one. That's a good one. You know, and it looks like we may find out on SmackDown, even though Ro- it's, it's a Roman-esque show, because um, we're going to hear from him. But, you know, KO and Sammy have been a big part of WWE, especially this, this Bloodline storyline for a while, and they weren't on this PLE. So I, I'd like to I'd like to see where this goes here uh, with them too. That's that's the big yeah. That's a good I point. They're probably one of the the big question mark spots. Who who is out there for them? They've been involved with. Um, and there may be a new tag team to challenge them soon. That left NXT on Tuesday. That's night, a good Tina. point, and that's a very nice tangent as we head over to NXT. Do we see a team like the Creed Brothers pop up? Because the Creed Brothers were in the main event of NXT on Tuesday. They lost the match, but. There was a very good way to make them look strong. They there was an attacker. There was also an injury to Julius. These guys were incredibly impressive here, and they've been a team that we've really liked all along. They're not perfect in that they still are a little young. They're a little green on the mic, and they're rapidly improving in ring. But I do think we're going to see them soon up on the main roster. I don't know how soon, but we teased if they come up. You know, uh, pairing what's them really, with Gable. What's, what's really weird about this is the D, the Diad was the one on Twitter a while back begging to be released. Yeah, from and there's company. yeah, and then and then they went over. So um, it's interesting that they went this way. There were rumors that the Diad would move up and maybe join a faction that's already established to help them out, but. And it looks like I think the Cree brothers go up on their own. I think Ivy Nile staying in NXT, if I'm not mistaken. So the Creed brothers could be popping up on our TV soon after losing this match, but it could be a win for them in the long run because these guys just they got that Steiner look, that feel. Can they just find a way to have a mouthpiece for them? And maybe at the beginning it is a gable type person that can sort of help. Talk and get them over And they can get themselves over in the ring I uh, I, uh, I thought Roxanne Perez looked, I mean Roxanne's good in the ring man She's really good yeah. You just sort of watch her in ring She's good And Blair Davenport was good And she gets the win To kick off the show Over uh, over Roxanne So Blair picks up the win She should move up the card a little bit You probably won't see her facing Tiffany Anytime soon Because there's heel heel there But I could see You know Big things for Blair down the line, they obviously yeah. a win like this over Roxanne, someone who they really like. This this was like a big win for her. Yeah, it was. I was surprised. It doesn't hurt Roxanne. I mean, it, she the ceiling is so so ahead of her. Um, I, you know, it's uh, what do they do with her after this? As you mentioned, Tiffany's got the the title. Tiffany, I think, defends the title against who? Maybe Ivy Nile coming up, or there's some. I, I think next week. Um, and then uh, at the end of the month, we get a PLE from uh, NXT that will be uh, right outside of Austin, Texas. So that's uh, what we'll uh, be leading uh, towards here on Tuesday nights is uh, the big PLE in, uh, in uh, Cedar Park near Austin. Mustafa and Bate had a really good match. Mustafa oh, yeah. gets the win. Yeah. Uh, Mustafa also was sporting a very nice tan. Here, um, he's been spending a lot of time down in, uh, in you know NXT in the Performance Center over there, and that. But uh, he looks like he's going to be challenging Wesley, Great American Bash, July the thirtieth. That's so, it. That's it. Yeah. Um. Well, well. I mean, that'll be fantastic. Those two guys will leave it all out there, and th- this has been good for Ali, man, because when he, 
the last couple of years for him, he was supposed to be Kofi Mania. You know, it was supposed to be Ali that year. And then he got hurt. <laughs> right? And just think about how, like, that missed opportunity for him. And he was, you know, doing all sorts of weird different things. Retribution, positively Ali. Oh, um, yeah. yeah. Now he's just kind of like a regular guy. That's, this is just much better for him. This is like, yes. he, he just feels more confident right now, too, down here on NXT. Um, I like what we've been seeing for him. Kalani Jordan gets a win over Tatum Paxley. Uh, just, you know, quick victory to get uh, Kalani Jordan on our radar a little bit more as Dana Brooke is mentoring her. They're going with that storyline here. And so they're continuing to set up Cora Jade with Dana and probably in this feud altogether. So Andre Chase talking to the class at Chase U, him and Duke. Um, Talking together, he thanks him for planning and everything um, So I'm sure we're going to get the tag match with these two guys coming soon it, And it did feel like Tia Hale They keep, they keep talking about Tiffany Stratton That did a lot of good for her I don't know yeah, if, you know, did. long term She could be a baby face that I could actually see dethroning Tiffany Sure, yeah It's, uh, you know, the signing her was a little no one really knew what to expect because she didn't have a professional wrestling indie background. But what we've seen so far has been really good. And we mentioned it last week. Chase U has just been fun each and every week. And as you mentioned, I think we get a tag uh, with Dempsey and Gulak here coming up pretty soon with uh, with Duke and uh, Andre Chase. NXT Underground was was very good. This was and much better. I this was it. way this was better. It supposed to be. It was so much better. Then the first iteration of this on Raw, which was kind of cheesy and a little you cornier, was Shane yelling on the mic and just this Dolph was good. Ziggler. Well, this just reminded me of some of those like fight pit matches they would do, sure. you know, and some of the cage, like the, the the stuff that they would do with Shamrock and Severn and Owen Hart, and um, it, it was good. It was a little different. And Eddie Thorpe gets the win by TKO after the match. Uh, uh, Gable Stevenson's there, and then some dude comes up. Um, and Steveson hits a German suplex in a belly to belly. Um, so we got to see him in some action there. Wonder what is next from him. Do you see, do you think he goes to NXT? Do you think he comes up to WWE? Like, what do you, what do you think the plan is? I don't know. I just don't know. Um, I have no clue. I I have no clue with this guy, but this is a good way to introduce him and get him involved in a storyline because it seems like he's been signed, quote unquote, signed with WWE for what, three or four years now. Yeah. So, you know, the wrestling world moves very, very quickly and it's easy to forget things. So it's a good job for them to reintroduce him this way. You know, maybe as he gets up to the next rock to the next level. You know, there's the Alpha Academy. You could always bring Kurt Angle in. There's all kind of different things. But as of right now, I think this is a perfect place for him. The Tony D prison scene, man. That was great. Oh, man, With Stax. freedom is up for grabs next week. I love it. Stax says, uh, Woo. Um, if he would. So next week, Tony uh, Stax faces Joe. If Stax wins, the charges are dropped. And then they get a tag team title match. If. He wins, the charges stick, and Tony's in jail for a long time. Joe said it was Stack's idea. Um, and Stack says the business is good since Tony's been locked up. Tony said that Stax is selling him out. Um, this was pretty funny. Um, 
just a different thing, you know. I it plays on the Tony stuff, and oh, so yeah. next week we're gonna get what stacks versus Joe. Yeah, it was the freedom on the line, baby. Freedom <laughs> on the line. <laughs> Lyra Valkyria picks up a win over JC Jane, uh, but after JC attacks, so it looks like this thing might continue. Noam Dar was uh talking to his love, the Heritage Cup. Uh, we just saw. <laughs> A little funny skit of him kind of professing his love there. Kiana James, Gigi Dolan. Uh, that storyline's continuing with the wet paint all over. Um, and then we got to look at Vaughn Wagner again. Vaughn. And Vaughn is feeling like he's finally going over. He is, man. Right? The, cr- the, t- the crowd's getting into him. They like the story again. I think people have a reason to care about this guy. Another quick video for Lucian Prince and Bronco Nima, the new tag team um, that they are uh, giving us some vignettes for. I think they're going to be in action next week. I think we finally get to see them in ring. And then we uh, have that loser leaves NXT match where the Creeds get beat by the Dyad. So the Creeds are out of NXT. Next week we have Channing Stacks versus Joe Coffey with Tony's freedom on the line. (laughs) Tiffany Stratton versus Ivy Nile. Andre Chase and Duke Hudson versus Gulak and Charlie Dempsey. So, yeah, they've all got pretty decent stories uh, as well. And we finished with Braun Breaker talking about. Oh, yeah. uh, Basically, you know, this is sort of it for him. And Ilya Dragunov interrupted. So we're going to get that's probably going to be his, you know, his final match. This is it for him. A way to either have him beat Dragunov and move up or have Dragunov beat him. You write him off for a little bit and Braun can show up on the main roster, you know, after SummerSlam. So again, some really positive stuff from NXT. Just feels like there's a lot of good stories being told that are all sort of peaking at the right time. As we head on over to AEW coming off of last week, um, starting with collision, the show took a massive dip, and it was a lot of a reason because they weren't promoting a whole bunch of stuff on the show. CM Punk didn't have a match there. They're already down in the 400,000s coop. And then what we're going to see this week coming up, it's sort of strange. The Bucks and Hangman have a match with the Dark Order on Rampage, which you feel like new show collision ratings were a little bad last week. This would be a week you probably want to stack that show, right? Yeah. But you can't put those guys on that show because of Punk. Can't do it. <laughs> so they're they're on Rampage. Now I do think I do think this week will be a bigger number for Collision because just because of the Punk uh, Joe storyline, I think that'll sell some people. And I thought they did an okay job on that, but I, they could have really hammered it home more on this show. And in yes. watching this week, and in just sort of noticing now. With having two two different shows that they really want to promote, that is just not something Tony Khan likes doing. He does not no, like taking time. It's, it's, they're not, no, they're not comfortable with it. That's it's sure. like he, I think he, whatever numbers he's looking at, whatever analysis he's getting, I don't think it's out of nowhere, right? I think there's a reason that he thinks it, but I, I just think it, it, I feel like it's one of those things where if you, it's like uh, investing a little bit. Sometimes it doesn't come back to you right away, but if you invest in some of these stories and these people and you tell the stories a little bit better and you promote this stuff a little bit better, it's going to sink in. It's going to set in, and maybe you won't have as many dips like you did last week. Now, on Dynamite, 
positives, negatives from a lot of things on the show. First, I don't like the idea of having two different tournaments at the same time. Right. It's it's kind of weird. They're having a trios tournament. So like they start the show with uh Orange Cassidy, Darby Allen versus Keith Lee and Swerve Strickland. That's fine. We've got the, you know, the weird tag there. Why la- then later in the night we've got like Billy, we got the Blade and the Bollywood Boys, which was bizarre. Um <laughs> bizarre of like a pairing for them. I know the Bollywood Boys are local, but it, it's you know, you've got these multiple Tournaments going on like an eliminator And another thing um, And they said the the tag team eliminator Tournament was random I think you would have just been better off Saying like it's an Opposites tag team tournament or something Because the only team that's like Actually a, two good Guys or a team that makes sense Is Darby and Orange Cassidy right other than that You put you know Keith Lee And Swerve back together When they shouldn't be. You've got Adam Cole and MJF. That's the opposites. You've got Guevara and Garcia, which were like the opposites that are coming together. The rest are all all in that vein. So little little confusing there. Um positive about the eliminator. I thought Keith Lee they, like they told a good story for Keith Lee in this match. Yeah. This was about him looking strong, looking dominant. The little guys, uh, Darby and Orange Cassidy, I thought sold well for him. I thought Orange Cassidy again continues to to you know be a guy that's really over. I don't like Swerve losing over and over and over again. I thought he's one of their better heels. It it was weird to me that Darby cut a promo on Keith Lee before the match. That was like the weirdest promo. He was sort of like calling him out, but trying to pump him up for a match that he was wrestling against him. And then help, post-match. help me out there. Cassidy, yeah, and post match, Cassidy and Lee are fist bumping. It's, yeah. it, it was just odd. It's just odd how I, I don't know why Lee and Strickland would be together and then have them lose yet again. Yeah, that's weird. If you're taking positives out of it, Keith Lee did look a little bit better, but he is throwing around someone half his size. You know, pretty impressive. He threw Darby from ring post to ring post. Um. Now, another. This is a weird thing. So immediately, point, I know where you're going, and I have I, I'm kind of confused and lost on this. Okay, so immediately following this match, right after you get a video package with Darby Allen, um, what was weird to me was did the placement of it on the show. So they just wrestle a match. It I know you're not. I, I guess you're not going to have the video package as like the thing you're opening the show with. You right because the, this was the first match on the card. But mm-hmm. you gotta sit down when you're when you're producing your show and you're laying things out, and you gotta say it's weird that Darby just wrestles a match, finishes a match, and then we're going to him in a video package backstage where he's sitting down in a chair explaining Nick Wayne to us. That to me, that's like looking at the way I'm gonna set a rundown up of my show. What you would do is that would be what you had to lead into the Darby match, right? Right, you'd have Darby talking about Nick Wayne, set up Nick Wayne, and then you say, "And you just heard from Darby Allen. Now we're gonna see him in the ring." Boom, like, and that's how it goes. It's just a little thing, but those are things I notice because I'm someone who did TV in my, you know, I've I've been on TV. I've had to sit in a lot of production meetings and rundowns and gone through a lot of that stuff. So I just notice it. Just 
comes off a little bit weird to me. If you don't want to have it before, then just do it 30 minutes later into the show. Right. So it's not immediately following his match. Then you don't really notice, oh, we just saw Darby, and now there's Darby again. Again. It, But in a, oh, Darby's sitting backstage. We just saw him wrestling with the, I don't know. It's just, if I always think more about, in situations like this, the non-hardcore fans. What are they thinking? How are they following along? Like we always talk about when so many people come out and get involved. Is everybody keeping score? Is everybody able to, to keep track? If guys like you and I have a hard time following along, sometimes is it easy for the you know the people who are flipping the channels to understand? Um, but I, I did think this was kind of fun. I, I did think the match was was sort of fun overall. As, yeah, uh, I, had, I had no complaints with the match. I just I, I just thought that it was weird that Swerve and Lee lost again. Um, I, I don't get it, but Orange Cassidy's been doing great work. You know, Darby's doing Darby. What's the winner of this blind tournament gets a future tag team title match? Is that it? Yeah. 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 I think that's what they said last night. Okay. The now, problem mate, is I don't even know who's still left in it. They don't do a very good job with that. Um, now, what I, uh, I will give them a major positive. I already feel like Nick Wayne's a big deal. I don't even know him, but the way they like they took time on this show to promote him for next week, which is awesome. That's the exact type of thing I'm talking about. It right. didn't help them on this show because Nick Wayne wasn't on the show, right? But by next week now, we've already heard his name. We already know this guy was 16 years old. They signed him. His family was a wrestling family. Darby trained him, and he's got some sort of a, a pass with Swerve. Like, that's more than I know about a lot of people they bring on our show, and it's only been one week. So I don't know what plans or how big of plans they have for this guy who's only 18 years old. But right. but I think they did a really good job making me aware of him and letting me know, and now I'm curious about Nick Wayne. Um, good positive there. The MJF Adam Cole stuff. Now let me just say, both of these guys are entertaining as hell. And a lot of this stuff is funny. I think it's funny. Like, I'm watching a lot of it, and I'm entertained. I don't think it is a storyline that should be happening with your world champion and the number one contender for the world championship. I agree. If this was anywhere else on the card, I would be 100% fine with it. I'd have no problem with it. This is like Jericho and KO, best friends. This reminds me of Bobby Roode and Austin Aries in TNA. <laughs> When they weren't the tag team champions, they were a tag. They weren't the world tag team champions. They were a tag team of world champions. Um, that's what they would they, uh, call themselves. And like, <laughs> I, I like these kinds of stories. Sheamus and Cesaro. Yeah. Right. When you have two good single stars that just don't have a whole lot going on, this is great. And. Adam Cole and MJF are two of the most entertaining guys, period. So almost anything you give them, they're going to make the best out of it. A lot of these things they're doing, I was laughing. MJF is just laying it on so thick, trying to be like baby face guy, buddy, buddy, you know. And it's just, it doesn't, I forget while this is happening, I forget that MJF is the world is the world champ, right? Because I, yeah, you, I, you said it, you explained it perfectly. I think he, number one, I've said this a while back. I think he's been flat with the title. Um, 
They messed up the Wardlow gimmick, which would have been absolutely perfect for him. Yep. As soon as he won the title, that that was just no uh, common sense to put him. Didn't happen. It's a, Look, they're very entertaining. Don't get me wrong. Uh, what? MJF's pumping iron, and then they they do some streamers for the birthday and happy birthday, old pal. And Adam Cole walks back from the ring with like a smirk on his face. It's just kind of cringy. I, I don't know why this is going on with the company's world champion right now. That's exactly where I, I am. And if I take that out and Kenny Omega is the world champ and someone else, I would, and I, I still am. Like I'm watching this and I'm laughing and I'm entertained by it. But at the same time, I'm thinking, this is this is something that feels like it should be separate from the world championship. Like it just it doesn't feel like the story at the top of the card. No. We, and and also, you know, like I said, I don't like the whole setting up a tag team like this. Th- this is a little different because they're going more of like a, this is more the more than the can they coexist. Because that's usually just for like one match or two. They're yeah, they're doing. Aren't they supposed? Aren't they going to now have to win? Yeah, they got. They're going to have to win this tag team. I mean, they're pigeonholed into that. Then they're going to have to have a tag team title like, match. They're in a match. Who do they wrestle? They're, so they're in the match with. Um, they're wrestling against. Who was it? Uh, they have a tag match, and they're uh, the Butcher and Matt Menard. And it's basically like MJF's just in the whole time And he's just trying to get Adam Cole to cheat You know, and he's like playing to the crowd and stuff And again, it's entertaining, it's funny MJF says that they wanted he wants them to do a double clothesline And like, you know, he's all excited about it That's what's gonna happen They're gonna do a double clothesline To be like their big move Like a, a big move together When Adam Cole comes together They're gonna do it, they're gonna win the moment that Adam Cole finally trusts MJF, then <laughs> MJF will turn on him, you know, and it, I just, it's going to make, I hope it doesn't make Adam Cole look kind of stupid in this because we all know MJF is a bad dude. Um, it, it That's what's hard. It's, it's mixed for me because I like both of these guys and I do think they're doing good work with it, but... To me, it feels like this is something that would be the really fun part of the show, but doesn't need to be involved in the world title. I agree, and I think, do you think Adam Cole has to take this title off of him? I wouldn't be shocked if it, I wouldn't be shocked now with as much time as they're giving this story. Do they win the, do they win the tag team titles? I think they win the tournament, and then I could see them. If they don't win the tournament, this is for nothing. They have to win the tournament. And then l- maybe lose the the match for the tag team titles, and that's where they like get into it again. I could maybe that's what happens. Gotcha. Uh, that I mean that's that's how I would play it. Um, hey, no copyright infringement for Billy Gunn. He said, "Suck it <laughs> over there." I guess "suck it" is is a uh, fair game for anybody to say uh, on anything. So you know uh, that was funny, but the acclaimed pick up a win, Caster Bowens and uh, Daddy Ass. They're probably on their way back up for another. Uh, they mentioned wanting to get Daddy Ass an, another title, so I could see them, you know, uh, on the way back up. They showed Eddie Kingston winning. He beat Kenta. Eddie Kingston won a uh, a singles title over in New Japan, and we saw Moxley cutting a promo on him, talking about Eddie Kingston, talking about their past. Again, 
We mentioned this a little last week. Just what been there, weird, done that, Gino. And it's like the timing of all of this because Kingston's over there. There's a blood and guts match on July the 19th with the Blackpool Combat Club versus the Elite. It's going to be a 10 man match, and Brian Danielson won't be in it. Kingston won't be in it. The tease is possibly Kota Abushi coming yeah, in. Kota for sure. And then they need someone on the Blackpool Combat Club side. Kota would be a, a cool spot. The only I think I was listening to the the post wrestling podcast and one of the John uh, John Pollock had said, "Is this? It's weird in a ten man tag like this. Would it be a better spot somewhere else to bring in Kota Ibushi? Right? Does he sort of get lost in the shuffle in a big match like this with so many guys versus if it were debuting him a different one?" I don't know. I thought that was at least something worth mentioning. We had a kind of like a half Chris Jericho babyface turn because they were uh, <laughs> maybe they're up in Canada. Don Callis comes out there. They have a little interaction. I do love that the crowd uh, just destroys Don Callis when he was out there. Callis basically took credit for AEW, and then uh, Jericho basically took credit for Callis still being relevant. Um, <laughs> so yeah, Don asked Chris to join his faction. Looks like this will be at least some sort of a feud um, with uh, with Jericho and with Cal- uh, with Callis and Jericho was kind of teasing the babyface a little later on <clears throat> when he talked with uh, with Sammy and Daniel Garcia backstage too. Yeah, what they need to they need to spread their own wings or something like that. They need to grow on their own. I don't know. It's just it, they've been so together for so long. I it just kind of all runs together for me. So. We did get the the setup for CM Punk, Samoa Joe. Apparently, CM Punk has never defeated Samoa Joe. And we caught a couple video packages just back and forth. I do think they could have done a little more, but I'm glad they at least showed us something here. And for as much as we did talk about the, the bad last week for Collision, I think this week will probably be closer to like six. Yeah, it'll I'd go say. up a little bit. Yeah, just because just the promotion of this alone and Punk and Joe – but what we're worried about is you don't have this match every week. You don't have big punk matches every single week because physically, I don't know how much he can do that. Sure. You know, so you're going to have to get a little bit more creative. You're going to have to figure something out. Like this would have been a good week to have, like if there's a big storyline with the elite and Kenny Omega or something, and it can't ever be on there. That, can't. That's going <laughs> to be put them on Friday night. That's going to be difficult. We, uh, we had Britt Baker. She cut oh, a promo brother. backstage, uh, and then she ends up losing to Ruby Soho. The match wasn't great. No, it was bad. Yeah. It was um, not, not good. And the problem I have with is you've made – let's talk about this women's division. And this is what I talked about I, I mentioned to you briefly last night. There's just been zero growth here. None. Was there any mention of a world champion? Where's the world champion? We saw Jade Cargill. She's on a hiatus now. Um, Statlander's got a title. Uh, Where's Jade? We haven't heard anything really about yeah, that. She's it on just a doesn't... hiatus, and she's actually tweeted a couple things that she's having more fun now outside of the ring than she ever has inside. She alluded to she may never come back. But the problem, the problem I have is is going back to Ruby Soho. You took one of the hottest names coming out of the WWE female locker room and you made her lose to Britt Baker instantly. She tapped out. 
and this match wasn't near as good as that match, and it had botches in it, and it just it just wasn't good, you know. It just wasn't good, and and this this women's division in AEW is just hard to get invested in. It's just well, you know, it's funny too. So though, much too interference. Though. It's just the constant interfering in the match, and you the, know, the outcasts have kind of become like how that NWO was, you know, when you're yeah. just getting involved in all the matches, and it's fine for a little bit, and because and, and it it does get annoying after a while. Honestly, two women right now who are like really over on their roster and they need to do more with are Sky Blue and Willow. Sky like, Blue t- needs to win this win this thing. I think yes. she, she works Ruby next. Is that the finals yes. or semifinals? Yes. She Sky needs to Blue win it because you don't need Ruby to win because you feel like whoever wins this tournament will be be, you know, like the number one contender and get a shot at the title. And you don't need Ruby to do that because if Tony's got the title, that doesn't make sense, right? You need right. a baby face. Right. So I, Sky Blue and Willow, they're two that they need to get behind them right now because like Brit, Brit and uh, Jamie, they've had their moments where they were really over and they Jamie's hurt. Brit just does not feel the same really at all. I think, unfortunately, it's by design because she's not in the top storyline as much or, or the champ. So we're just not seeing her on TV as much. They just don't have as much time for her. You know, compare that to what we were just talking about on the WWE side, where there might be five or six different women's storylines that are all getting TV time right now. I agree. Yeah, Sky Blue and Ruby is semifinals next week. Finished up with Kenny Omega in the main event. It was a really good match. It was solid. Kenny Kenny versus Wheeler. Um, And Kenny going... You know, about 20 minutes here, he gets the win. Um, and then after the match, Claudio and Takeshita attack. Um, Young Bucks run out for the save with Hangman Page and the Dark Orders in the ring, and they grab the chair, and that's where things end. So you asked me last night when we were talking, and we uh, you said, you know, does MJF's run feel a little eh? And, and and that's yeah, like I I agree. It's not like it's a complete failure, but it's definitely not a complete success. It's just very fine. His in-ring work has been good, solid. His promo work has been fine, but it's just not as good as it was before he was the champ. Uh, and you asked me, who would you put the belt on right now if you were booking? And I think I think for AEW to kind of reset, to kind of go back to what they wanted to be from the beginning. I think you go just babyface Kenny Omega. I think you put the belt on him and you let him be your big bout guy. The guy that people got excited about in New Japan, watching those matches, watching the Osprey match a couple weeks ago. I think you you put it on Omega. You initially you get Omega and MJF. Can you figure out something where you get Omega and Punk? You've got an Omega and Brian match to go to, an Omega and Hangman Page, an Omega and Cole. I think right there, you set yourself up with a lot with Omega as the babyface, where people want to cheer for him. And they haven't really had the chance to do that in AEW with him as a singles star. To me, that's what I would do down the line. If you're not going to put it on Adam Cole, I think Kenny Omega is the guy that could maybe get people really, really into your product and maybe get it buzzing back again with just a really big matches, some good dynamite matches where he's defending the title going 30 minutes, you know, and getting people to to tune in. And 
We talked about how his promos as a babyface are better. They don't give him as much promo time as they should. I would love to let him cut some solid promos and and yeah. let him let people see that he can do that. So that's what I'd like to see, Coop. Because when we watch AEW, it's there's all it's always so up down. Um, in you know what you're gonna get in a ring, fantastic ring. But can we elevate the storytelling? Can we elevate the character work? They've got eighty thousand tickets sold for Wembley, but it's it's kind of strange because at that same time where they're having such a big financial success over there, the product's a little lukewarm right now on TV and in week to week. Yeah, and after we leave that, uh, oh wait, um, a week after that, that here's the crazy thing: a week because everything leads to All In London, and just days after that. We're all out in Chicago, which is, quote, unquote, their biggest show of the year. So this is where it's going to get really interesting here uh, very, very soon for AEW. They better figure some things out storyline wise because there's some stillness going on. And when you're having to put the Bucks and the Elite on Friday nights and can't put them on your live show on Saturday and your Friday shows aren't aren't watched very well and now your collisions and I, I thought this from day one when they announced collision you're going to get a faction now you're going to split some AEW fans when ratings start competing with each other uh, from dynamite to collision but man when you got a big show Wembley and then you turn right around and a week later you have to do a super big one in Chicago on <laughs> Memorial Day weekend we're going to find out real quick if uh, AEW is going to be a player or they're just going to be another promotion. Well, this is like – this is trying to do – a, and that's what's a, what's a bit worrisome for me at times is they've now got a lot going on r- real yep. quickly because now all of a sudden you've got an extra two oh, hours let, of let, – Let's not forget about blood and guts, right? Yep. Okay, you got an extra two show. hours of TV now with, with – so you got Rampage. On, t- on Friday, then Collision on Saturday, on top of Dynamite already. You've got to make sure you got to keep some of the Rampage. you got to keep the Collision and the Dynamite stuff, like the Elite and the Punk stuff, separated. So you can't have a lot of the storylines overlapping as much or previewing as much. you got to help preview Collision stuff to preview Dynamite, but then you have Collision to also preview the next Collision. For Dynamite, you got to preview a little bit of Rampage and Collision and then what other, other stuff you got going on. You're trying to sell Ring of Honor as well and Honor Club on top of that. Um, you just came out of New Japan stuff where you know, you're involved with them. That's a lot happening for a new company and just a lot on Tony Khan's plate to, to a lot of balls on the air. And let's right? not forget, we have another battle. I've just looked it up. We have another battle of the belts that is July 15th. You know, it's just like all these shows, boom, 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 and then have to have your two big ones within a week. Ooh, we're, ooh, we're going to find out a lot. Uh, if, if Look, money is going to be there for longevity, but if they want to become a major player, you're going to find out a lot here over the next couple of months with AEW. Especially with those two big, those two big events back to back within a week week of each other. Just hopefully they don't cancel each other out. Coop a loop scoops coop the chat <laughs> cooper. Give him a follow on Twitter and on Instagram. What are what are you over on Threads? I think Threads. It's the exact same. There we go. 
There we go. On, on threads as well. well. We'll start posting a thing or two on threads. Uh, I'll have a couple things this weekend I'll put over there and see how it flows. Coop, my man. Thank you again for another great week. Uh, look forward to talking to you next week. And what we're going to start doing on uh, my pods and on um, um, on other social media stuff, we're going to start previewing NFL divisions Ooh, each week. So I'm going to give you a little homework, too. When okay. I do a divisional preview, I want each week for you to tell me one of the team the team that you like in that division or maybe some one of those teams. So this first one that we're going to be talking coming up, uh, Eric and I are going to be talking AFC East, Bills, okay. Dolphins, um, Jets, and uh, uh, with Aaron Rodgers and uh, the pa- the Patriots. So get a thought or two. Let me know next week who you liked in that division. If you like anyone, a play or two or something, and then uh, yeah, let me know what you think because that's what we're going to be doing each week. So um, yeah, but yeah, before too long, we got the Hall of Fame game. Exactly. So because so, Ohio, I think the way we've we've set it up is where. We can preview one division each week now between now and the start of the season. Perfect. I think like the next eight weeks. So it should be awesome. Chad Cooper, buddy. Love you. Thanks so much for your help. You have a great weekend. See you next week, Gino. Folks, don't go anywhere. Still a lot more to come on That's What G Said. And that's going to do it for this episode of That's What G Said podcast. A big thank you to Eric for helping us out with the NFL. So we'll be going week by week now with a different division. Each week we'll hit four teams. We'll get you all set up for the NFL over the next two months. Chad Cooper helped us out with wrestling with Chad Cooper. And starting next week we'll have Saratoga. So we'll have a, a lot more guests coming in to help us out with weekend racing here and there. And then following that it will be Del Mar. So we'll have lots of summer racing coming up. Chad will be on each week with Wrestling with Chad. We'll be previewing the NFL with Eric. And we're also going to have episodes one through three of Secret Invasion coming up with Tim Kelly. That'll be early next week. Good luck this weekend. Hope all of you have a, a fantastic one. And we'll see you again next week right here on That's What G Said.